I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. And through. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Um, so Tyler, I don't know if you did hear me, but if we could get this TV on, <laughs> whenever you get settled back there, that, I would appreciate it so we could see. Um, a new setup today. Get new we got computer. a new setup. We apologize for being a few minutes late, but we are here. We're ready to go. Uh, oh, apparently, there's no sound according to the. Uh, sounds like we're muted. According to the. Which thing. is good. Nobody can hear me. All right, we're back. Um, so again, I, what I said at the beginning is I apologize. For my voice. You did. Yeah, yeah. I might sound like I'm not bringing as much energy. It sounds a little bit rough. Today. Uh-huh. But we're good. We'll be all right. Um, yeah. We're going to grind through. Yeah. So the only change in, in the show because of your voice is apparently that means I'm going to be doing the ad reads. Yeah. You've, you've decided that actually it's good for two and a half hours of conversation, but it can handle 30 seconds of ad reads. Got it. Every word matters. Okay. I might actually type some of my takes to you. I'm not. And have you no, recite? Them. No, that won't be happening. No, no, not all right. at all. Well, it's another great, great week of NFL action. Week four in the books. Let's go um, game by game. So on Friday, did you talk a little Lions Packers? Yes. As right. a general rule, this year we will be covering the Monday night and the Thursday night yeah. game in your absence. So I say, but I do that kind of matter of factly, so that the people know, because I know. But the people know yeah. to go to YouTube or to or wherever you download your podcast that there's a Friday episode that will have covered the Lions 34 to 20 victory. I see that's, over the Packers on Thursday night. So like I knew the answer to the question, mm. but I had to ask it anyway. That's sneaky. Well, they All say right. you should never ask a question that you don't know the answer to already, which doesn't seem that smart to me. You know, how are you going to learn anything if you don't ask? <clears> when you it's don't like know. what an attorney would do. All right, let's get to the let's get to the action. Yesterday started in London. Do we not kick straight into an ad read? We we go past that. We do a game first. Do you want to do it? Tell tell I mean, everybody what we're doing. Well, I'm just Where saying. Coming from you know, it's October the second. It's football season. It, you know, fall is all about football season, but it's also all about ensuring your family's financial future. Starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western and Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Well done, man. Nailed it. That was perfect. Yeah. All right, so now, yesterday started at Wembley. It did. It was at Wembley, right? London. That's what, that's what it says here. Started in London, the Jacksonville Jaguars defeat 
the Atlanta Falcons 23-7. Jags move to 2-2. Two two. Falcons fall to 2-2. Two two. This was the Toy Story game. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have ESPN+, Plus, but you do have Disney+, Plus, like I do, we'll get to watch from a Toy Story standpoint. Do you not get this game as part of the, the, the uh, Sunday ticket thing? It's not a part of Sunday ticket. Really? It was an ESPN Plus exclusive. Is that not a th- – surely is, is the selling point of Sunday ticket not every game? Yeah, except except games like on a, Prime. There's like a star, like not this one. Well, there's a certain like certain uh, national games that don't fall within the Sunday ticket package. Okay. I had other issues yesterday too with the the transition to the four o'clock game. Yeah. Like the local Fox broadcast wanted to stay on Eagles, Washington. Yeah. So, it, but it wouldn't let me get to the national game, which was uh, Cowboys Patriots. It's like that's your the whole point of having the Sunday ticket package is to be able to handle those things mm. and not force me to have anyway so i watched toy story yeah for the most part i went back watched the uh the regular game too um but pretty pretty dominant win i'd say for the jags maybe the 23 to 7 doesn't uh even do it justice it was a struggle offensively for atlanta yes uh largely prompted by desmond ritter playing terribly and throwing the ball to the defense multiple times pretty bad um Pick six by Darius Williams. That wasn't great. He had a second one like right after that because the Toy Story, the, the broadcast on Toy Story was quite delayed. Yeah. So at one point I was like, "Is yours as delayed as mine is?" I had on two. I was watching both I had the Toy Story on the the uh, iPad just to see if there was anything interesting on it, and then I had the main broadcast on the TV, and it's like I don't know two or three minutes off in terms of sync. So I was like, well, okay, is yours as far behind as mine? How many picks has Desmond Ritter got right now? I said, no, there's another one. Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, give it a minute because we're about to have a second one coming up. And then he tried to, he tried to throw a third as well. It's like, God, I had been I, – I was asking after the first one, I asked Twitter, like, how long before Taylor, Taylor Heineke is starting games in Atlanta? And then by the time everyone was actually replying, it was after the second one. They're like halftime in a minute, you know? Yeah, I mean, for the Falcons, it goes back to that, you know, our preseason discussion about Desmond Ritter. If he's not the guy, you know, that's that could be rough. It was if you had – what did I make the statement before? If if they had Ryan Tannehill there. Not that Ryan Tannehill is great. Right. But imagine Ryan Tannehill with those weapons, with a familiar play caller like Arthur Smith. I think you'd have some success. Let me test drive a take for you. Um, everyone has been saying up until last night, you know, the Jets need to trade for Kirk Cousins. Atlanta actually makes way more sense to trade for Kirk Cousins than the Jets do. Like in season? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. Well, Atlanta I mean, a, the Vikings aren't going to do that, but... No. Atlanta, number one, has draft picks that they can spend, as opposed to the Jets, where they're all tied up in this Aaron Rodgers thing that they can't actually trade them. Um, number two, Atlanta actually can win things with Cousins. Like, they're not this rebuilding franchise tanking for Caleb Williams... Even with Desmond Ritter, they might win enough games where they have no shot whatsoever at somebody like Caleb Williams. So Kirk Cousins actually makes this team quite a dangerous and capable franchise like this season now. Um, And they're in position to sort of keep on going. And number three, like they could be the team that goes, yeah, he's good enough. Let's pay him the extension that he's going to be looking for and let's do this whole thing. Um, Sure, the Vikings might not do it in season because they would have nothing and they just won this game. But on the other hand, they're probably getting rid of him anyway at the end of the year. Like, you know, all they would need to do is reach the point where they go, this season's not going anywhere. What the hell? Yeah, that's all right. 
the test drive. We'll let the people handle <laughs> your uh, your test drive take there. Cousins to Atlanta. Um, but, yeah, it was – How many turnover-worthy plays did Ritter end up with? I think with? he ended up with just the three. Because there's at least a four. But there's negative – But there's um, – he got sacked four times. And remember, coming into the game when we were previewing this, we talked about the Jags' pass rush, uh, second-worst pass rush grade going into the game. And uh, we talk a lot on the show and how much that is dependent on the quarterback, also dependent on the coverage. It did feel like um, – on Toy Story, you had the uh, the All-22 view. Mm. You know, like they were an empty, and Ritter had – they had Bijan out in the slot. He was open, according to the Toy Story uh, game, and, uh, and Ritter ends up taking a sack instead on that play. There's a lot of play – you know, they handle pressure. I, I did see our friend J.T. O'Sullivan tweet, and I was sensing it as well. You have an overload pressure from the Jags, and Ritter tries to do the whole like, oh, we'll just we'll just juke the blitzer, and he runs into another sack. Uh, but JT O'Sullivan was saying, hey, can we get some hot hot route answers here? Mm. You know, like when there's a blitz, you're supposed to have some sort of route to throw, and Lanta not having that. So, I mean, it's Ritter, but it, the whole thing was a bit of a mess. You have to have a QB friendly system that has answers for the blitz, and Ritter's taking these negative plays that you know he doesn't need to be doesn't need to be taken. So. It was ugly offensively for Atlanta. You know, I think a good solid game for the Jags. They needed it. Um, they're still going to. They're still very inconsistent. I think they needed to take care of business in this one. They were favored. They're back to two and two. Uh, I'm looking for from a Jacksonville standpoint more week to week consistency. They also instead of there was some questions about whether or not Trevor Lawrence was forcing the ball to Calvin Ridley a little bit too much the first few weeks. Only the two targets for Ridley. One of them was the broken play. 30-yard touchdown. Beyond that, it was Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram getting 20 out of the 30 targets for that offense. So that was good just from a Jacksonville standpoint to see them spread the ball a little bit more. Yeah, and simply the receivers stopped letting them down. You know, the first couple of or the, the last couple of weeks, they had been either dropping touchdowns or simply not getting their feet down for touchdowns. And this week, you get a play where, you know, Calvin Ridley makes a, an ad-lib adjustment that it results in a touchdown. So it goes from one end of the spectrum to the other, which was obviously helpful. Um, I thought the Toy Story thing was kind of so I'm not, you know, the target demographic for the Toy Story broadcast, whoever that was. I'm not 100 percent. My certain. four kids, they were locked. In. Cool. So that that makes sense. Right. But I do think those things are fun just for the tweets. You know, yeah. like there's always funny tweets that come out of those, regardless of whether or not you think the actual broadcast is worthwhile or not. There was one that was from somebody called Riley because they used a slinky dog to measure the, for the first down instead of, a, you know, the, the sticks and the chains. You, they use Slinky Dog, which frankly is not any more dumb than using sticks and a chain for a $9 billion industry. Do that in real life. Yeah. Uh, so Riley tweeted, it's got to be demoralizing to get a penalty and watch Slinky Dog back that ass up to rub it in. <laughs> so when they go from, you know, first and 10 to first and 15, you, you need a five more yards of Slinky Dog backside. I thought it was well done. It was funny. There was a few times Atlanta looked like they were lining up offsides. Like the guard was just, you know, next to the defensive tackle. It's like, what? Yeah, there was some. Uh, what about Juwan Taylor? There was some issues yeah. with the accuracy of the chip and the shoulder pad information. Yeah, which would um, make you, you know, question some other stats out there using chip and the shoulder pad data. Well, it was yeah, no comments there. Um, so the Jags are going to stay in London. They're going to play the Bills next week. But they have to that, change hotels in that nine thirty Eastern time slot. Uh -huh. Do you want to tell that story? I mean, Ten seconds. they they were they said it in the broadcast. Apparently, they're staying in London, but they have to change hotels midweek because apparently Buffalo has booked the hotel that Jacksonville are currently in. Now, 
They didn't specify whether that was deliberate or not by the Buffalo Bills, but if it was, it's one of the greatest moments of like shithousery I've ever heard of. Buffalo Bills playing chess over here. All right, um, we'll hold up. We'll do we'll do this game, then we'll do the next ad read. Okay, gotcha. so jump in right when we're done with this one. All right, I'll prepare. Buffalo Bills forty-eight, Miami Dolphins twenty. The game of the week turns into the Bills running away with it. Josh Allen finishes twenty-one of twenty-five for three twenty-four touchdowns, a perfect passer rating. Uh, not just because of him, though, because well, the Dolphins' defense was bad, and Stephon Diggs was out of his mind in this one. Turns a little hitch route into a fifty-five yard touchdown. Great routes on the goal line. Scores three touchdowns, digs. Um, but Buffalo not only slows down Miami's offense, but just unstoppable on, on the offensive side of the ball themselves. And look, Buffalo's 3-1 and one now. And they really are a couple Josh Allen YOLO balls opening night, Monday night football. A couple YOLO balls away from being, I'd say, the consensus top team when it comes to uh, the all-important power rankings. So... Look, impressive win for Buffalo. It was, yeah. And it started off, um, you know, the way everybody was expecting this game to go, just a giant shootout. Like, at one point, it looked like this was going to be the next, uh, you know, the Rams-Chiefs game, 55-51 or whatever that ended up being. Just ridiculous arena league game where nobody was playing any kind of defense. It looked for a while like that was how this game was going to go. Both teams scored quick touchdowns. I think the first five drives collectively were touchdowns. Uh, and then... Buffalo started getting some stops, and all of a sudden they didn't like they weren't stopped. They kept scoring, but Miami's offense fi- finally met resistance for the first time um, in this season. Buffalo found some answers to that that defense, and eventually ended up running away with it reasonably comfortably. But that was an impressive game from Buffalo top to bottom. I guess the the one big negative coming out of it is Tre'Davious White popped his Achilles. Yeah, that's bad, man. It's sad for Tredavious White, who's dealt <clears throat> dealt with some injuries. The Bills at one point, I don't know if somebody came back, the broadcast said they were down to their last two boundary corners, outside corners. By the way, is that a new thing for just outside corners to be called boundary corners? I I have avoided this because the boundary corner right. is a, is a different definition in college football. Doesn't mean outside, it means the short side of the field. Yeah. I don't use the word boundary for outside corners. I just say outside. I use perimeter. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But it seems like everybody uses but boundary for non slot corners, and yeah. I don't like that. Right. It's difficult because there is no. There is a field and a boundary. Even in an NFL game, you can say the short side of the field is the boundary, right. and the wide side is the field. It is. So I don't like saying that. It is awkward because there's no agreed upon, you know, this is what we call that guy. I use perimeter. Outside corner works. Yeah, I agree. Boundary's not good because that's a different thing, albeit yeah. at a different level of the game, but still. So a couple of things that stood out here, what, you know, when you watch some of the film, hypothetically, if you have access to that mm. at this point, um, the, you know, look, the Dolphins were, they were cooking early, right? Bunch of quick hitters. Yeah. There was even a throw up to Raheem Mostert right in between double coverage. I thought it was a great throw by Tua, but Raheem Mostert's going up and mossing people within double coverage. It's like, man, the Dolphins... They're doing everything right. But there was definitely a point where Buffalo did a nice job um, sitting. They were taking away first reads, which, again, like I don't know how you do that tactically other than just being good, right? Like, oh, just take away the first read. All right, well, tell Denver. They should have done that. But Buffalo did a nice job taking away the first read. They were crowding the middle of the field. And anytime there was a solo – not anytime, but a lot of times when there was the solo receiver, you would have a Tredavious White 
pressing Tyreek Hill. So like one of the uh, two ends up getting sacked four times. He'd only been sacked once coming into the game, right? And some of them were late, but the press coverage on Tyreek Hill was helping the the pass rush get there. That's happened. That happened a few times in this game where they just did a really good job just throwing off the timing. And, and I think that's oversimplification sometimes. Hey, when you're going up against this great offense, just throw off their timing. But Buffalo executed it really well. And, you know, Tua was late. He should have thrown a pick six. The Tredavious White dropped. They took away a lot of the stuff that Miami was doing extremely well. I think one of the things that Buffalo's defense does anyway that happens to be very effective against Miami is the way they deploy their safeties. You know, this has always been a very safety-friendly scheme, but also cornerback-friendly scheme because of the safeties. Like, in a, in a weird way, the entire secondary works in concert quite well in a way that none of them are actually ever thrown out in an island and exposed badly. But a lot of it has to do with where exactly they deploy those safeties, which ends up being right in the area of the field that makes the picture a bit muddy for Miami. So when you look at what the Dolphins have been doing, certainly this season so far, the middle of the field, everything is wide the hell open because the safeties are all over the place. One guy's been dragged somewhere else. One guy's playing deep, and now it's just like there's empty space everywhere. Whereas against Buffalo, that's right where like Micah Hyde, you know, resides all the time. So they're kind of automatically positioned anyway, pre-positioned where the problems are going to be. And that just, they were able to, I think, have a really big effect on on that Miami offense just by alignment. And, and Miami never really found a, a counter to get them out of that space. Um, the I, one thing that stood out in this game, in addition to being just one of the best weapons in the NFL period, Tyreek Hill, I think, is comfortably the best decoy in the NFL. Like, this is part of why the short motion and all the different alignments for him is so brilliant is because he's already a problem. And now you're actually increasing the problem by he might not be the target. But now you have to panic because, oh, crap, he's lined up somewhere stupid or he's in short motion. He's got a running start. Ah! And now like everyone runs in his direction and just opens up a yawning chasm somewhere else. Like the, the Devin A-chan, is that what we're going with now? Hey. A-chan is what he said this week. Right, yeah. A-chan. The Devin A-chan touchdown where Tyreek Hill lined up at running back, right? And this the entire defense, like, panics. It's like, oh, no. They move him, you know, they, they fake in one direction and then end around to A-chan. And it's just it's so wide open because the entire defense has flowed towards where Tyreek Hill is. His, um, his threat as a decoy, I think, is genuinely spectacular. Joey two times in the chat says, well, PFF's waking up early. No, no, this isn't, this We're isn't late. new. We actually started late. Right. We're always here at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. Tell your friends that we're here reviewing the games live on YouTube. So, yeah, look, I thought, I thought Buffalo made a statement. I know this is their home game against Miami, right? They still have to go to Miami later in the year. But Buffalo, and we'll see what they do without Tredavious White. It is a torn Achilles. It's uh, very unfortunate. But, yeah, Buffalo... Um, their linebackers were, uh, you know, Matt Milano's a stud, but their linebackers were a big question coming in. Uh, Terrell Bernard's been playing some great football. Matt Milano doing his thing. And the Bills are are deep from a defensive line standpoint. I don't, again, I don't think Buffalo goes out there and dominates on the defensive line, but they are probably the best defense in the league at meshing that coverage in front and taking advantage of things. They also, you know, again, when Tua was sacked, again, one, one was late. But they just, they just timed up a blitz, 
and freed up Gregory Rousseau as a rusher. They just do some really good things to make life difficult for opposing quarterbacks. Stephon Diggs was victimizing poor Cater Kohu during that game. <sighs> that I mean, the touchdown. On the goal line. Yeah, they're right on the goal line. There was a touchdown where he beat him like three three or four separate times in the one play to, to run and get a touchdown at the end of it. I mean, he was just wrecking that poor guy for a, a, the majority of the game. The Bills also had – so this whole world now of, you know, double-cheek push, which there seems to have been a collective renaming of during the week to the brotherly shove. Was that what they're calling it? Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, but everyone was using it this week. I randomly. mean, tush like push, an, like you were double-cheek push. Right. It's like a memo went out. Hey, guys, by the way, we've renamed this. Anyway, the Bills had an interesting variant. Did you see this? They did it by mistake. Um, but it might actually be a really smart thing to do, particularly if you've got a strong quarterback. They basically ran uh, like a, a, a sort of option look inside zone, you know, handoff thing. Running back goes up the middle. You hand it off. And then the quarterback yeah. just follows him and, like, yeah. shoves him from behind, you know. With, so it's an inside zone run as normal. But then your 250-pound quarterback follows it up and just launches into the back and shoves him over the pile. Uh, Washington did it as well, I think, again, by mistake. But randomly, in the same week, two different teams ended up kind of creating this weird variant of, well, if shoving from behind is actually allowed, let's use that. Yeah, I think... um wasn't there a point where all of that was illegal yes. to actually push? But they only turned it ball legal in like 05 or something. And then somehow randomly it took. 15. 05 was the Bush push. That was. Seven, like, it's like the mid 2000s, it became yeah. legal in the NFL. But somehow it took teams 15 years to realize that. I'm against it. <laughs> okay. I mean, what's, I'm surprised they haven't gone full mall. Like on well first down. Yeah. Well done. Like if, you, if you're just facing like a classic over front with multiple bubbles mm-hmm. on the offensive line. Why wouldn't you just go full mall on first down? You could pick up six or seven. Deploy the rolling mall. Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't you? I, it's hard to say. You know? Well, I mean, no. The real answer to that is you can sack the mall in football in a way that you can't in rugby. <laughs> it's true. All right. So uh, anything else on this game? Um, Allen was outstanding, you know, that was the first time this year where Allen just start to finish was, was dominant. Well, that was – so we've now seen – the full spectrum of Josh Allen, right? The, the Jets game, week one, was basically the worst possible outcome for Josh Allen. Like, full meltdown. Reminded me of that Houston playoff game where he's, like, throwing a blind lateral, you know, to a tight end whilst falling down in a key moment to lose the game. Uh, since then, he's been better and on, the sca- on like, the, the side of the scales of good Josh Allen. But there have been some mistakes in there as well. And then this week was like clean, basically no mistakes, peak Josh Allen, the guy that when he plays like this, the Bills are basically untouchable. So we've, we've seen like the full range of outcomes of Josh Allen through four weeks of the season. All right, before we get into Baltimore and Cleveland, why don't you tell us about our friends over at DraftKings? Well, um, we're back with another week of football, another week of reviewing the week that was in the NFL. And DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw down $5 on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of of two new offers every game day this September. 
Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. With code PFF, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Well done. Thank you. All right. It's also, by the way, void in Ontario, just in case you were wondering. Yeah, if you're in Ontario, it's void. Baltimore Ravens 28, Cleveland Browns 3. Word came out just before the game. Dorian Thompson-Robinson was going to get the start. DTR season. Over Deshaun Watson. Remember, DTR had a great preseason late round pick out of UCLA was not so great in this game um, Lamar Jackson pretty clean game for the Ravens and um, yeah Browns never really had a shot because DTR kept throwing to the defense or fumbling mm. I think he's only going to end up with not as many turnover worthy plays as we thought but but quite a lot it's at least five right it's not great I uh, official stat line for DTR 19 of 36 for 121 yards, that's 3.4 yards per attempt. No touchdowns, three picks. Also lost a fumble in there. That's not good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm torn between wanting to take a victory lap because I was very reticent to buy into the DTR thing, having watched him quite extensively in college, uh, but also being aware that the Baltimore Ravens defense is capable of doing this to better quarterbacks than DTR. I mean, remember Baker Mayfield coming off a very good rookie year had a complete and total disaster when he faced the Baltimore Ravens in like his first week in a new offense, right? So the Ravens defense can do this to quarterbacks. So it's a, it's a tough ask to be like, hey, DTR, short notice, but good luck. See, I think it's okay to be encouraged by the preseason, and we'll get to this later with Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. I think it's okay to be encouraged by the preseason that DTR and Aiden O'Connell had, but also realize they're late-round rookies <laughs> – in their first NFL start. I mean, and they also, you know, how many first team reps have they gotten in the last month? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of factors here. So I think you could be encouraged that, hey, DTR is going to be a good backup or at least has backup potential. We'll see what happens. Aiden O'Connell will have backup potential. We'll see what happens. And also say, hey, in week one, in their first NFL start, didn't go so hot. Yeah. I mean, it also was... took DTR, by the way, real quick, seven years at UCLA to like really. Take that step forward. Maybe it takes some time. I mean, who are you telling? This was a bad week for anybody wanting to draw anything from preseason. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, you know, everybody that showed something one way or the other in preseason basically had it completely reversed this week uh, in terms of play. So I will, I will not learn this lesson. Ever. August, we're, you know, we're trying to— Well, this um, is the genius of the NFL. They suck you in with this, like, barren months of desert where nothing's happening, and then they— throw out preseason so that, you, of course, you're going to buy into it because it's the only new information you've had for the last several months. You're like, oh, of course, DTR, we didn't think he was any good, but after three minutes of action against somebody's third string, now I'm convinced, right? And then you get a to actual games, would, you're like, look, no, he's still DTR. We also live in a world where there's no such thing as sleepers anymore because there's, you know, you know Johnny Draftboard on the Internet with 300 <laughs> followers is like, you guys copied my mock draft. I already had this guy going at 12. He's my sleeper. Yeah. And it's like, of course, so you'll always find someone who were like huge DTR I mean, it doesn't fans even need to be. Huge Aiden O'Connell right. fans. So it'll feel like the buzz is bigger 
maybe than it was. It doesn't even need to be, you know, what did you call him? Johnny? Johnny Draftboard. Johnny Draftboard. Yeah. I mean, Brett Coleman was really high on Puka Nakua. You were pretty high on Puka Nakua. Like, so we take up, we start lapping. Right, but my point is, you don't even need to go far and wide. Like, you're going to find somebody pretty big who's really high on pretty much every draft prospect out there. I mean, I had Tank Dell number four in my wide receiver list. Should have been number three if I had the, the courage of my own convictions. Uh, but, like, there's somebody out there that loves everybody, right? And not just Johnny Draftboard, but, like, somebody significant. So, yeah, the, it's, I think the days of nobody's ever heard of this fifth-round pick except, like, you know, in the weeds, draft nicks are definitely gone. Um, so in this game, you had a couple short fields for the Ravens. Yep. Um, Lamar Jackson, 10-yard touchdown to kick it off. Lamar had two rush, rushing touchdowns, a um, couple passing touchdowns in there. His throw, um, the first touchdown to Mark Andrews, I think it was the first one he threw up and away from coverage, was outstanding. I thought it was – I mean, when he threw it, I thought it might get picked. And then I was like, oh, no, it's too high. It's getting overthrown. And you look up, and Mark Andrews has the ball. He had a, yeah, great. I think it's probably the same touchdown we're talking about. It was a beautiful pass in the back of the end zone to Mark Andrews. That's the one, It yeah. was Charles Davis, I think, who, who said that uh, – he didn't say who told him this, but he said, somebody told me this once. I've never forgotten it. Uh, just put it on the top shelf where the kids can't get, get it, and I'll, I'll come down with it. Like, that's a really way, good way that of describing good. that. That was really good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Montana-esque. Against the Cowboys, yeah. Um, so I thought I thought Lamar played just a really nice, clean game. Yeah, Zay Flowers' biggest play was a scramble drill. Lamar hit him for 43 yards. Uh, I thought that was that was really nice. Lamar finishes 15 of 19 for 186. The two touchdowns. Um, overall, just good game for the Ravens. Dominant performance by their defense for whatever that's worth. Again against uh, DTR. Yeah, like the, the damage maybe looks a little bit worse for the Browns' defense because of those short fields, but I think Lamar Lamar was not carving up that defense but doing a really good job of um, attacking them and beating them you know, in a variety of different ways. Uh, and Cleveland's defense had a few plays here or there that were impressive, but that's the, the most trouble they've had so far this season. Was, I think it was at four actual turnovers. I mean, they – the Ravens still only had – they still had under 300 yards. You right, know, the that's Browns, what I mean. The Browns' defense that was in this – we say this a lot about defense, right? Like, even if it looks like you're going to set records, it's dependent on who you're playing. Mm -hmm. The Browns' defense is still very good. Yes. You know, still should be very encouraged. Uh, 28 points, certainly based off of turnovers and everything. Um, but Baltimore deserves credit. You know, they needed they, – uh, they take control of the AFC North, move into 3-1. and one. Browns fall to 2-2. Two and two, And – you know, Baltimore bounces back from that tough loss against the Colts. They're they're an overtime away from from being four and zero here. Yeah, no, this was this was an impressive game by Baltimore. I, I you know, Cleveland's defense I think is still very much for real, but this was as big a pr uh, trouble as they've had with anybody this season. And then ultimately, in terms of winning and losing the game, they didn't really stand much of a chance because DTR just wasn't ready for this game. And I don't mean like. As I say, there, he might have been ready if this game was against a crappy defense, you know, and we got to see him get his first start against somebody that was much more of a gimme. But the Baltimore defense for a, a mid-round rookie making his first start, even one who would impress in preseason, I think was just a, a bridge way too far, in fact. Um, anything else on Baltimore here? It was, you know, pretty much Andrew, the Mark Andrews show as far as the pass game goes. Baltimore didn't get much going on the ground outside of Lamar Jackson finding the end zone twice. It's an interesting Ravens team because of that. I don't know 
this whole new offense for Baltimore. I mentioned, I think, in the preview show, it's been very horizontal. They did have those couple, they did have a few big plays in there, but they mm-hmm. were, you know, again, Zay Flowers outside of structure. I don't know if Baltimore, we'll see if, if they're explosive enough when they need to really put points on the board. Right now, I don't, again, my same take as Thursday. I don't love this offense. I think there's more to be had there. Maybe they're, you know, a little feeling out process. But a game like this, they take care of business, and we'll see if they're if the big plays are needed when they have to play some, you know, in more competitive. Games. I mean, I think the problem is the wide receivers still aren't any better than they've been in the past because of injuries, right? Right. Maybe if everyone was healthy, we would be looking at this offense and saying, yeah, finally they've got the receivers Lamar needs, and the spread offense works a lot better. But like Zay Flowers is healthy, that's kind of it. And now instead yeah. of this this receiving core that was Zay Flowers and OBJ and and uh, Rashad Bateman and then Mark Andrews etc. You've got Zay Flowers playing basically all the snaps. Like Nelson Aguilar is the next guy up. Uh, Devin Duvernay, Laquan Treadwell is playing snaps for this offense. Like it's not what it was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Great Morgan Moses, Moses comes out with injury in this one. Ronnie Stanley missed it. Uh, the Ravens have a lot of injuries that Putting they're dealing with. Putting Daniel Falele in there. Falele did not do great. No. From a pass pro standpoint. All right, Baltimore, 28-3 to over the Browns. What a game, though, in terms of uh, dueling offensive mammoth tackles. We had a game that featured Daniel, Daniel Falele on one side and Dewan Jones on the other side. You're right. The dueling mammoth right tackles. Mm-hmm. Well done. Uh, let's go Philadelphia Eagles, 34. Washington Commanders, 31. This was a great game. You know, this turned yeah. into the, the game that everybody had to watch on your Fox affiliate because it went to overtime. <laughs> uh, but the Eagles win in overtime with, what, a 56-yard field goal? It was a funky end as far as a uh, 54-yard field goal. Cheek Elliott. That's his name, right? The kicker? Yes. I, I mentioned a kicker. You did. Great. Well done. How about that? Uh, Jalen Hurts, really nice game, throwing the ball down the field. And this was the um, – I always call this the A.J. Brown game. This is the game where A.J. Brown just decides to take over mm-hmm. 59-yarder yeah. where he's weaving through the defense. And um, when I cite how good the Eagles are, I like to cite that they have different ways to win. And they've had these games where everybody's like, where's the pass game? Where's the pass game? It's like, well, when they need it, they have the ability. And this is one of the games where they showed that ability. A.J. Brown finishes with nine catches for a buck seventy-five and two scores. Yeah. they. I mean, honestly, that was a different – like if you – there's a lot to talk about in this game, but if you wanted to sum it up in a nutshell, this was the game where Washington just could not stop A.J. Brown at all. There were multiple kind of shot plays to A.J. Brown that made the difference uh, in this one. Um, and, yeah, I, I, you know, there are some where it's like it's a hole in the zone, it's a really good throw by Jalen Hurts, and there are others where it's like, come on, yeah, what are we doing here? Like the last play or the last sort of big play to him was just like a double move against Emmanuel Forbes, the rookie, and it's like – Feels like we probably should have had that covered, you know, but didn't, apparently. Um, sometimes we talk about the pregame matchups, and it's like, here's this matchup to watch or this one where we think there'll be an advantage. And a lot of times we're citing the Eagles' defensive line and Sam Howell coming off a game where he got sacked nine times. Now, I, got, I know he got sacked five times here, mm-hmm. but I think it was three by Nicholas Morrow, the linebacker. Yep. This didn't go 
as I expected, the, the commanders came right out firing. Their first drive, Sam Howell's making great plays, uh, great throws, picking 14, them apart. 14-play, seven-minute drive to they open the game. took up, yeah, the, ha- the first half of the first quarter. Um, the, the, so my point, I guess, is the Eagles' pass rush was not as dominant as I thought that they would be against it. They should be overmatched. They should be able to overmatch the commanders' offensive line, and they should have probably had more pressure and more negative plays against Sam Howell with their four-man rush, and they were unable to do that. So credit Washington for that. I mean, that was what kept them in the game, so Howell could sit in the pocket. And when he sits in the pocket and throws the football, for the most part, it's been really good this year. Well, this, yeah, like, you know, we talked the other week that was like the perfect storm of bad Sam Howell, right? He was taking ridiculous sacks that he shouldn't take and then also kind of blindly lobbing the ball up for grabs. And those two things together were are a terrible combination. When they happen, you're going to get an awful quarterback performance and an awful offense. But this was like the good version of Sam Howe, which is, okay, there's going to be some plays where he lingers in the pocket a little bit too long. Um, but when he actually just trusts what he sees and puts the ball in the air, he's pretty good quarterback. Um, and I thought that was it. Like, generally, I think the Eagles' pass rush was a little bit too much for Washington's offensive line. And the sacks, I mean, you know, it was a really close game. That, in amongst a number of different things, is the difference between the two teams. Like, Philadelphia's defensive line probably did matter. Uh, but, like, Washington did a good job. This was a gritty fighting performance. I mean, Brian Robinson Jr. with, like, a triple or quadruple effort to get in with for a touchdown. Now, fumble the ball over the goal line and... Terry McLaurin had to save it and create a touchdown. But, like, he – I forget who it was. Whoever uh, – there's a, an Eagles DB. He bounced that guy on contact. And that was, like, the third hit he took over the course of that run. Um, really impressive run by him. Like, there were some good performances in the, in this game by Washington. A couple other things I wanted to highlight. The Eagles mentioned a little disappointment in their pass rush. On the other side, I would be disappointed in the – Washington Commanders in their pass rush. They, they're two weeks removed from completely harassing the Broncos and Russell Wilson in that four-man front that we've you know, lauded plenty of times with Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, Chase Young. The Eagles had one of the best pass, pass protection games of the season, gave up only a handful of pressures. Eagles, from a pass protection standpoint, um, absolutely dominant. And then Jalen Hurts, you know, again, I think – the Eagles, I don't look at rushing yard stats. Were they the number two rushing team or number one rushing team, whatever it was, coming in? They had had those games where they ran all over the Vikings or they were they had a big lead against New England. or They, had, they, they were running the ball a lot. We haven't seen them have to open it up in the past game, but Jalen Hurts, four big-time throws in the second half, most of them going to A.J. Brown. And the Eagles, even when they're down multiple scores, can lead a comeback through the air. They can, they can win a game where Hurts doesn't have to do much through the air and they're just running it. They can win a game where their pass rush dominates and puts the defense in a bind. So many different ways to win for this Eagles team. Should Ron Rivera have to officially abdicate the Riverboat Ron nickname for not going for two to win the game at the end? Yeah, so end of the game. Uh, commanders were, man, making this comeback. Right, and usually when you are the underdog, I'll get to the, I'll get to answer your question in a minute. Try okay. to set it up, right? Cool. Usually when you're the underdog, and you're up seventeen to seven, and you're, you know, you're lurking, and the, you know, the Eagles take a twenty-four to seventeen lead. Like we see this game flow a lot 
the nine-point underdogs that Washington was. Usually, that at some point, that catches up to you, right? Good job, Washington. Now you're done. The better team's going to run away with it. But the commanders kept fighting back. They come back to tie it at 24. Eagles go up 31 to 24. It's like, okay, there's the, the two-minute drive for the Eagles. They, Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown for the double-move touchdown. This game's over, right? Nice job, Washington. Thanks for coming out. You gave us a game, but the Eagles are a better team. And Washington drives down the field. Mm-hmm. Last play of the game, Sam Howell with a 10-yard touchdown to Jahan Dotson. And they kick the extra point to tie the game at 31. And it, look, we've seen a lot of coaches go for two for the win in the past. And I think if – I wonder if Nick Sirianni would have. Not just because he's aggressive and forward-thinking, but when you're like a nine-point favorite, usually it's okay. You extend the game. You're like, hey, over time, weird stuff happens, but like over time we're going to win this game. Right. If you're Washington, though, you can't look at this game and be like, well, we've been competitive the entire day. You're you're the underdog, and you have one chance to win, one play to win. You have to take it, and they did not take it. So uh, was it uh, your uh, Cecily who suggested Somebody that. suggested that the uh, riverboat gets uh, oh, riverboat run gets I mean, thrown away. Yeah, look, I just think you're never you're not going to get a better you're not going to get better odds to win than one play from the two yard line. Like that's that's what you're dealing with here, right? Generally, the league is fifty fifty on those plays. If you have a half de- decent offense, you're probably better than fifty fifty. It's not getting better than that by kicking because you're you're still underdogs. Like they're still the better team, unless. Unless they've lost half the squad through injuries over the last 60 minutes, they are still a better side than you are, which means essentially opting to reset, you know, let's go again for a fifth quarter, puts you back to being an underdog, right? You're leveling the playing field again and saying, no, all, like, we're starting over. So they go back to being a favorite. Your best shot of winning this is this one play from the two-yard line and go home. And instead... They kick and, and decide to play overtime, and they get the ball. Like, the optimum scenario, we get the ball, let's go, and then, no, straight out, three and out. Yeah. I mean, the whole point on the math there is, okay, let's, <clears throat> let's pretend overtime is a 50-50 proposition. Right, which it isn't. Which it isn't, right, because one team's better, right? So if you're like, okay, it's, let's say we have a 45% chance of winning, a 40% chance of winning because we're the underdog, then you go to the two-point conversion – the, you know, the, the more you can pare it down to one play. I know the whole game rides on that one play, but, like, a loss on one play is no different than a loss in overtime. They both count the same. It's a loss. But you have a chance with one play. And um, some would even argue you've got the momentum. You just go to touchdown. Not that that matters at all. Even that um, sequence, by the way, yeah. was crazy. Like, the, the one to get to the tie, they, you know, they, may, they get – to the shadow of the goal line, they, what, had 21 yards to pick up. They got 10 of it with a uh, Terry McLaurin pass. They take a timeout, or Philadelphia takes a timeout with a few seconds left. Uh, they take a shot up the middle that was going to be short, and it was incomplete. To so, yeah, Samuel. there was, there was uh, five seconds left yes, so from they, the 10. Right. They and took a shot right over the throw middle. It, and you could do like a quick hitter to the end zone to have a second shot, or you have one play. Right. You have one or two plays, but you have to do quick hitter to the end zone. So they take a shot right over the middle. It's going to be a yard, if not two, short to yeah. Curtis Samuel. It ends up being incomplete, but there's a second left on the clock. If they he get, caught it, like it was the done. Eagles, game over. If they were thinking quickly enough, you could let him catch it and tackle him, and right. the game's over. 
Um, so they get a, uh, one last shot to it, and then they get the, the touchdown to Jahan Dotson, and then off the back of that decide, no, we're good, let's play for overtime. And then in overtime, by the way, so three and out, but three and out doesn't describe what actually happened on third down. He completes a pass to Terry McLaren, who coming down, the Eagles were effectively saved by the forearm of Reed Blankenship because McLaren makes this spectacular catch and on his way down, gets one foot down, the second foot lands on the forearm of Reed Blankenship and sort of what then rolls over and the toe hits down on the turf as they're going out. And honestly, <clears throat> kind of looked like he was inbounds anyway, but definitely the difference between being uh, ruled out of bounds and being inbounds was the fact that his foot first had to go down on top of Blankenship's forearm. And had it just been able to hit the turf first, it would definitely have been inbounds. Just insane that we can be, we can play 60 minutes of this absurd, violent chess game, and then it comes down to whether or not your foot lands on the forearm of a dude on the way down, and that's our, that's our game right there. Crazy. It was, a, it, was an, it was an awesome finish. And, even, and then even the Eagles at the end, I mean, they, they ended up in a, a third and 17. Um, so first off, a couple things. They go for a fourth and one. Of course, the you know Jalen Hurts picks it up. Fourth and one from the fifty, you know Riverboat Nick. Because um, if you don't get that, Washington's fifteen yards from field goal range. Of course, they get the fourth and one to keep the drive alive in overtime. Like the Eagles were just kind of trudging along in overtime. Um, they get a third and seventeen, pick up nine to Devontae Smith to set up a fifty-four yarder for the game winner with four minutes left. Like this was close to. Tie territory. Mm. The Eagles' game-winning drive was a ten-play, twenty-three-yard drive in overtime to set up the fifty-four-yarder, which is no gimme. It's another reason, by the way, it's not fifty-fifty in overtime because the tie is a possibility and more of a possibility now that it's only a ten-minute period than it used it's to. It's true. There, there really is. So yeah, just what? Just resetting here. I apologize for my my voice. I had some uh, some voice issues. Mm. I don't know if it's from yelling at the Florida Kentucky game on Saturday, but not. It's not great over here. Um, anything else on this uh, Eagles 34-31 win? Eagles move to 4-0 against the Commanders, falling to 2-2. Two two. Not really. They called uh, Philadelphia offsides on offensive offsides on one of the double-cheek push plays. Do you see that? Yeah, who was um, – I think it was Jeff. It was one of the Schwartzes, I think. One of the Schwartzes. Jeff or Mitchell highlighted – so you, uh, you and the, uh, the other guy who will rena- remain nameless – tweeted out the picture of the mall look uh-huh. at the goal line and it's like 11 dudes 11, each side whatever and it's like uh, this is football right and it was one of those guys who were saying in the Super Bowl the issue with the double cheek push formation is the guards for the Eagles are offsides that mm. they're they are lined up so far forward I've never actually looked at it that closely that to see that but they had highlighted that so I, I just it's interesting I saw that highlighted this week I mean this feels like one where is that true? Yes. Is there several other formational issues with that? I.e., there's no neutral zone, right? Everybody is in the neutral zone. It's like you could call almost every single person in that play could be called technically yeah. in the offside, either defensive or offensive. But it was just interesting to see the officials, I guess, finally decide, okay, this is too far. We're going to throw a flag on this. And maybe that is the wrinkle that like maybe that causes the most problems to that play of anything we have seen so far. Actually, the official saying, you're pushing this too far. We're going to start cracking down on it. 
Uh, somebody in the chat suggested I need some hot. Can we get some hot tea down here? Can we get some interns on some? Uh, I tried a little warm water, honey, lemon mix. Yeah, I tried that. That sounds nasty. I was chugging it the last couple of days. Is that is that really what you're supposed to do? Is chug it? Not chug. I mean, it feels like, like that's a sip. I had multiple. The... I mean, I sipped it, but I had like four cups of it yesterday. It. That type of thing. Okay. I had one this morning. Maybe I should have had two. All right, let's go uh, Tennessee. What was the final? Where is it? 27 to 3. It's a lot of 28 to 3s yesterday. Uh, Tennessee Titans 27, Cincinnati Bengals 3. Titans move to 2 and 2. Bengals fall to 1 and 3. Um, I want to give, let's give the Titans credit first and then circle back to like what this means for the Bengals because it's a train wreck over there right now. But uh, Tennessee now, a uh, completely different team at home. It seems they're two and zero now at home. Beat the Chargers back in Week Two in overtime. Uh, Ryan Tannehill plays another one, one of those smooth, efficient games. He was twenty for twenty four in that first game at home. He's eighteen for twenty five for two forty. Couple big plays in there. Also, a just missed big play on the double pass to uh, to Nuke Hopkins. Mm-hmm. We saw that play at training camp, Sam. That's why they have us mum quiet at training camp. That throwback, the Derrick Henry throwback to Ryan Tannehill to hit. New Hopkins behind the defense. We saw that. We saw them practice that at training camp. It worked mm. that day, just out of Hopkins' reach in this game. But uh, Derrick Henry looked like old Derrick Henry again, as yeah. we said. It takes him some time to get going here. This is why the Derrick Henry thing is interesting, because you can't just keep him off the field. He's too good. He's still like Derrick Henry is still King Henry when you give him 22 carries against a pretty good defense. Like, it's not like the Bengals are rolling out there with a, an awful team and Derrick Henry was just able to go ham. Derrick Henry is a good, powerful running back who is still capable of doing what he did when he was the best running back in the NFL, you know, league's leading rusher, all that kind of stuff. 37 snaps, 22 of them were carries, and he ends up with, what do you have, 120, 100, yeah, 122 yards, 97 of which was after contact seven first downs, nine broken tackles. Like, this was a Derrick Henry stat line that doesn't happen if you're going to have him wildly outplayed in terms of playing time by Tajay Spears. Now, this was an interesting game because they both were on the field a ton. Um, Derrick Henry had, what, 37 snaps, and Tajay Spears had 33. I think but, he might be over. I mean, the, the two games where Henry has not had as many snaps were the two road games where they got smoked. Right, oh, no, but sorry. it's not that I'm sorry. They, were, they, they didn't get smoked in week one, but where in week three they were, fell behind really early against the Browns. Yeah, but it's not that he's – it's that they're taking him off the field in just any kind of passing situation. Like he, So a game flow like that will take Derrick Henry out of the game, right? Where, so even in this game, you look at the, the snap breakdowns, and Taji Spears played 33 snaps, but 17 of them were um, those passing plays. Like they – that's too one-dimensional, which means they basically have a passing back and a running back, right? And if the passing, if they're in a passing game flow situation, Derrick Henry is simply not going to see the field. That's a problem for them because Derrick Henry is too big a part of this offense to just say uh, he's not going to play for the next three quarters because we're down big. That's too self-sabotaging. Yeah, well, this was, <clears throat> this was old school Henry running through tackles. Um, was outstanding. Um, a lot of shotgun runs where he was making big plays. He forced 10 missed tackles on just the 23 carries. He had 22 official, 23 including. 
a negated play. So Derrick Henry was outstanding, and um, credit the Titans, man. Like, I, look, I don't know how much of this is just the Bengals' offense, but Tennessee's defense uh, over the last few years they have they have games like this where they're uh, just really difficult to complete passes and they're tackling well, and you know this is one of them. Um, yeah, like I, and then you have the you know the Bengals' offense, which like so. It's very limited, but there's value in just getting the ball quickly out to, you know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Like, those guys can make plays, and both of them had plays in this game where just simply the ball was in their hands quickly, nothing route, and they beat a guy or drag a guy for extra yardage and pick up first downs. And, like, there's, there's value to that, but it can't be the whole offense. And the problem is at the moment with Burrow injured, hampered the way he is, it's the whole offense. Yeah, that's that's the issue. I think when you when you see the number of horizontal routes and bubble screens and everything that Jamar Chase is catching, um, last year there was a point where they they started doing they started moving Jamar Chase around. I made the point last year. It felt like the old Randy ratio, mm-hmm. where they were having there was a few games where teams took Jamar Chase away, and they adjusted by saying, "Okay, we're going to put him in the slot. We're going to put him on the inside uh, of trips." in the slot we're going to move him around and you can't double him anymore and we're going to run a few easy stick routes and we're going to get jamar chase involved and that felt like a good adjustment last year right so just as a stat jamar chase's average depth of target as a rookie was 13 which is really far down the field of course Um, last year it fell to about 10 something right because they had those games where they were just feeding him short stuff but they still threw the ball down the field this year it's in the sevens average depth of target for Jamar Chase. So this year, there's there's no downfield Jamar Chase. And I get it. Like they got to get the ball out of Burrow's hands. He's got the calf. I don't know how well he could throw the ball down the field. I don't know how much that's affecting everything. But there's a reason why this offense isn't working, because you're one of the best deep threats, one of your, your best 15-plus yard threats in the NFL is not playing that game anymore. And I don't know if the quarterback can even get him the ball anyway. Mm-hmm. So now they're countering by saying, Jamar Chase is still great, but let's turn him into Tavon Austin and get the ball in his hands in space. And that's okay. Like you said, there'll be some plays where he's good, he'll do that, but it makes the whole offense much worse. And again, I don't know how much depends on just Burrow, his calf, and the inability to get drive the ball down the field. His average depth of target was four and a half, which is yeah. just, I mean, that's two yards shy of... It's Tavon Austin. It's it's like what they tried to do with Ted Ginn. Burrow's average depth of target, like every no, pass. No, Burrow's, I know. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that's two yards shorter than an average depth of target where you're saying this is a problem. <laughs> it's just, it's not, it can't work. I mean, if, we, if look, I keep making the the injury excuse because it, it has to be real. Well, it's, yeah, it is because real. Because we it, don't, like if he was a rookie, if Joe Burrow was a rookie, we'd be like, hey, should we be concerned about Joe Burrow? Right. He doesn't like to throw the ball down the field. But we have two-plus years of evidence that Joe Burrow's awesome at football. But right now, he's at an historic low, 4.8 yards per attempt through four weeks of football. That's as bad as it gets. It, it highlights this false economy that I think teams talk themselves into with injured players a lot of the time. Like, so I have, I'm off the back now of three weekends of one of the most historic uh, false economies I've ever encountered. I decided to paint the trim of my house at the front to save a, you know, a few hundred bucks to paint somebody to do it professionally. I'm like, ah, that seems pretty easy. I could do that. It took me like three weekends. I don't know how much I spent on paint and various other sort of crap to do it. In addition to like three solid Saturdays, painting this idiot-shaped 
trellis thing at the front of my house. I'm like, this was not even close to being worth it. Like, the, however many hundred bucks it would have cost to have a painter do this and save myself the time, effort, money, way better deal than doing it myself in three straight days. The uh, NFL teams, when it comes to injured quarterbacks, they're like, well, the debate is essentially what percentage of this guy is still better than my backup, right? Now, Cincinnati's backup is Jake Browning. So I would say you can go pretty low in terms of percentage of Joe Burrow before you get Jake Browning being the better option. But when this is the current version of Joe Burrow, it's probably the same, right? Like Jake how, Browning would be a 4.8 yards per attempt guy. I mean, there. But this is like, I and mean, we'll get to this later. The, the Saints did this with Derek Carr and Jameis, right? Derek Carr, injured shoulder, he's close. Is he good to go? Is he 80%? It's, you know, what percentage of Derek Carr is better than Jameis Winston? I think both teams at this point are probably goofing on the wrong side of that because they're, they're overvaluing how good the hampered version of their starter is. Like, I get the Bengals are basically done for the year if they decide to sit Joe Burrow and get him healthy. On the other hand, they seem to be done for the year anyway, even when they're playing him at 80% or whatever he is with this calf injury. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't hate the decision on paper, but they're, I mean, last, they're last officially week, the worst offense yeah. in the NFL. Last week would make you understand why you do it, right? It, it, it was ugly, but it, they found a way to make it work. They get a win against the Rams. You're like, all right, we're still alive. But this week kind of showed you, you know what, it's not, it's not going to work. You can't, you can't have an offense where the average depth of target is four and a half yards from the line of scrimmage. NFL defenses are too good at understanding how to stop that happening. And if you can't take advantage of that adjustment, like they're going to squat on everything. And if you can't hit them over the top, you can't win. That's in addition to T. Higgins banged up in this game. Broken rib, right? Yeah. And um, look, even if you were going to uh, we're, – we're just talking Jamar Chase deployment here. But even if you're going to do that with Chase, can you just chuck some – jump balls up to T. Higgins a little bit more you often, You have right? to be able to skip. You have to be able to back them off. Even if that's going to be your sort of default position, four and a half yards from the line of scrimmage, there has to be something in there that will scare them back. Otherwise, they will take all that away and you go nowhere. Um, did you see the, the Derrick Henry? I mean, the Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry passed for a touchdown. Yeah, that was nice. Which is not the first time in his career he's done that. It's been a thing before. They had, um, was it Jeffrey Simmons they had come in? Yeah. And uh, Bengals used to time out because they had Simmons at fullback. Yes. They motioned him out. So this is the thing, right? Derek, they they showed them the play, right? Yeah. They lined up, weird formation. Uh oh, Derek Henry's taking the direct snap. Tannehill's gone split out wide. Jeffrey Simmons is in the lineup, and the, the Bengals call timeout. Let's talk about this. Let's figure out what we're going to do. And they'd kind of it was one of those timeouts. It was very late in the play, so they'd sort of shown the you know let's break out the formation. Let's put the people in. Let's shift. Sort of show them what it's going to look like. Quick uh, timeout. Let's talk about it. And then they ran it. <laughs> it was like this. There was no point in the timeout. Like, what did you talk about? They showed you this, and then you still busted and let them have a wide open player in the back of the end zone anyway. It was, it was exactly the kind of coverage breakdown that would happen if you don't call the timeout because uh oh, this is new. We've never seen it before. They call a timeout. They talk through it. They you know plan out the various permutations that could happen off this play and then still busted completely and let them I, bizarre breakdown on defense this was on a third and two it was already 17 to three i mean this was 
I mean, the Bengals only ended up with three points anyway, but yes. this was the absolute nail in the coffin here in the first half. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Third and two with 14 seconds left in the first half. Great play by the Titans. Um, the Titans are officially going to be the team that is, let me just give you a heads up, my future Titans analysis will be, are they on the road or are they at home? Ah, I see. You see, the home Titans the home look Titans. like 2021 number one seed Titans. The road Titans look like spent the offseason rebuilding Titans, right? And so the truth is somewhere in between, and I think the truth is somewhere just home and road splits. Because this this was classic Mike Vrabel, Ryan Tannehill, Titans. Some big plays in the passing game, a whole bunch of Derrick Henry, tough, hard-nosed defense, and uh, yeah, don't know what to do with that going forward for Tennessee, other than they do that much better at home. Yeah. All right, are we going slow today? We had a we had a late start. That's why. Uh, let's go. Houston Texans thirty, Pittsburgh Steelers six. T- Texans move to two and two. Big home win here for PFF Bobby. PFF Bobby. Over the Steelers go. Steelers fall to two and two. Bobby is experiencing the roller coaster of uh, you know reactions from <laughs> from games. <laughs> He's two weeks removed from people hammering him for passing all the time because they got in a big hole early. And now people are like, can you come coach the Falcons? <laughs> We've heard. Yeah. We had people trying to get pass messages along for, mm-hmm. uh, for Bobby to go coach. Uh, another great game for, uh, for C.J. Stroud. Official stat line, 16 of 30 for 306. Two touchdowns, no picks. Had the 52-yarder somewhat late to Nico Collins. Nico Collins had two touchdowns. The beginning of the game, the Texans ran like 97 plays in the tight red zone. It looked like they were there forever due to penalties and everything. But, yeah, man, Houston controlled this game from start to finish. On the other side, Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett, another game underwhelming, leaves with a knee injury. And uh, Pittsburgh, I mean, I don't want to say we should have seen this coming, but if you're analyzing Pittsburgh's offense this season, if you take away a couple 70-yarders, right, a couple big plays, very ineffective. Like this was much like other weeks minus the 71-yarder that – you know, put them on the board. I mean, we basically did, you know, that was the the implicit uh, suggestion of, that doesn't work, right? Implicit suggestion. That was the, the implication of what we were saying, which is this is a bad offense that for a couple of weeks had managed to, an individual had overcome that by make, breaking out a big play and that had been enough to win those games. And if you looked at the, you know, the, the, the weekly joke at this point, the adjusted scores, the adjusted scores from the nerds had suggested that Pittsburgh had won a couple of games that they really had no business winning, right? Now, the reason that that is a thing, the reason that the nerds are interested in the adjusted score thing is that that probably has some predictive power as to what's going to happen in the future. If you keep winning games that you're not supposed to, theoretically, the pendulum is going to swing back in the opposite direction at some point, and you will catch you know, you're just rewards for what you, you will reap what you've been sowing, which apparently is worse than the results you've been getting, right? Um, and that's, like, this game, Pittsburgh didn't find somebody to overcome the crappy offense and win, you know, win when they shouldn't, and therefore their offense basically got nothing done all game. Um, I was, <clears throat> Pickett was errant on a pass outside the numbers, and it got me thinking. I haven't seen him throw the ball very well outside the numbers whatsoever. Looked it up. Any QB over 30 attempts outside the numbers, at least five yards down the field. Pickett's got the worst grade in the NFL. He's about third worst if you change the sample size, but it's been bad. 
And sometimes it feels like that's just an accuracy thing. It's, a, it's an arm strength thing. But there's just like he's off. Like the, the number of passes that he throws that um, just don't have a chance or the angle's off and it ends up out of bounds. So there's something with Pickett to me. The inability to throw the ball effectively down the field. I think the whole scheme issue is a thing. Because, again, Pittsburgh's got good playmakers that they can lean into. Um, but Houston, uh, Pickett had an early interception. Great play by Steven Nelson to go up and get it down the field. That was a middle-of-the-field throw. It doesn't really matter. It was bad. I mean, he mossed. Yeah, <laughs> Steven Nelson mossing Calvin Austin on a, on a post deep down the field. Like got small, small DB Austin. mosses, small receiver. Um, for the, the, to me, maybe the most impressive thing about this entire run between uh, friend of the show, PFF. I don't know if he's, he's not a friend of the show. He has yet. to be a friend of the show. He's not, he hasn't been on the show. He's not friend. No, he's I mean, been on the show. He's okay. not a friend of the show for the same reason that other people are friends of the show. But he has to be a friend of the show, having been, you know. He's our friend. Yeah. We're, we're in text chains with him. Um, between PFF Bobby, between CJ Stroud is navigating this injury-riddled offensive line because they did it again. The tackles were okay. The interior was outstanding in pass protection. T.J. Watt, I mean, to the – I know the Pittsburgh media people that criticize us don't watch us, but if the message gets to them, if you're going to write an entire article on how PFF grades are trash because T.J. Watt affected every throw against Jimmy Garoppolo the other night, then you should write that same article and now say that T.J. Watt had no effect on the Houston Texans because the defense didn't stop, other than a few field goals, didn't stop Houston, and T.J. Watt didn't have any sacks. Mm. I mean, he did force an, you know, an intentional grounding, but yeah, that doesn't matter. Well, that certainly doesn't count. I mean, doesn't that's, count. That's in the, that's I don't the see mile, that in the stats. Right, that's in anyway. the Miles Garrett bracket of, I don't see that as a sack. So uh, I expect the same energy from Pittsburgh media that T.J. Watt didn't show up this week no credit to houston man they did they've been doing a great job keeping cj stroud clean and then stroud playing under pressure when he does have pressure has been way better than what we saw at ohio state i mean george fant and austin deculus as a tackle tandem not being a massive problem in this game going up against alex highsmith and tj watt is i think a fairly unforeseen development for that houston offense like that would have been going into this game a huge red flag as a potential problem for this team. And yeah, CJ Stroud has been way better under pressure or late in the down. I do think, remember, one of the weird characteristics of this draft was how everybody with a flaw seemed to go to the perfect team to make it not matter. Yeah. So CJ Stroud goes to the Houston Texans where, I mean, PFF Bobby, in addition to being friend of the show, friend of us, He's also coming from that Shanahan coaching tree that right now is crushing the league, right? Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, like everybody, I mean, Matt LaFleur, everybody from that offense is crushing it right now. So you're like, that is the perfect offense for C.J. Stroud to go to because number one is going to be open most of the time. And whatever you say about Stroud in college, he could hit number one. Like, Like if his job is to drop back, and literally just run the play that's called and fire the ball in the direction of his number one uh, read, that's good. And, I mean, you only have to look at that drive where they spent like a half the day in the red zone. 
Bobby dialed up a touchdown like three separate times, and they kept taking it off the board, right? I kept writing down, taking notes, like, hey, Stroud, scramble touchdown, nice job. And I look up, it's gone. Right, like then a run for a touchdown. Then he gets a screen for a touchdown. They're like, nope, illegal man downfield. And then they get slightly bailed out by a, a defensive pass interference to give them a new set. Finally gets the touchdown. But, like, that combination is doing a really good job. Yes, C.J. Stroud is doing fantastically. But Bobby is also dialing up number one being open, you know, a lot of the time. And that, it's not just a C.J. Stroud thing, but you look throughout the league, there's a lot of those combinations where somebody's flaw, potential flaw, is being very well masked uh, or complemented by the coach and the scheme or whatever they're asking them to do as well. And it's not just, you know, rookies this year. It's that combination of Shanahan and Brock Purdy. Like, it's that meshing of player and coach that's having this effect. I, I don't know if you want to spend Wednesday going over all the rookie quarterbacks. We could talk about that. But for Stroud, I think he's getting rewarded for being so mechanically sound. Yeah. We talked last week about hitting that second read, like resetting his footwork and hitting that second read, even just yesterday, keeping the ball ready to throw when he's scrambling. It feels like Stroud is being rewarded for having the best mechanics in the draft. Um, and again, what we said was, if you give him a good offensive line, give him some open receivers, that will be the best. He'll have the best chance to, to succeed, especially early, because of his accuracy, because of the mechanics, because of what he brings to the table, and we're seeing that through four weeks. Just a, a contrast in terms of what I'm talking about, specifically that kind of first look thing, right? When Stroud is throwing to basically his first look, his first target, his... He completed 10 of 19 passes for 173 yards, so 9.1 yards per attempt and a passer rating of 119 yesterday, right? Uh, the Steelers combined, let's put Pickett and Trubisky together, basically the same amount of dropbacks, uh, 19 attempts as opposed to 20. They completed 10 of them, so broadly speaking, the same number as CJ Stroud. Theirs went for 78 yards uh, and a passer rating of 40, 41. So, I mean, it's not as simple as that, but I think that's a fairly broad brush approach to you got one offense that's doing a really good job of scheming number one open. You got the other offense that's doing a really bad job of scheming number one open, and those are probably two ends of, this, of the same spectrum, but that's part of why you've got one quarterback looking really good and two other quarterbacks looking like crap. So, second straight win, right? Last week was the, yeah, second straight win for the Texans. Don't forget, D'Amico Ryans is the head coach, and he's on that side of the ball. Second straight week, a good defensive performance. Last week was against Jacksonville. This week against the Steelers. The pass rush was pretty good. Will Anderson's winning reps. Will Anderson's going to show up on the stat sheet a lot in the coming weeks here. His whole division win. is uh, 500 now, by the way. Yeah. How hard could it be? It's a battle now. Texans are in the thick of it mm -hmm. in the AFC South. Got to be impressed. By what they're doing they are also the top team in that division in uh point differential everyone else is either plus two or minus two and they're at plus 17. Oh, look at that um let's go colts rams in a second here do you have uh, ag1 fired up or do you want to do it after this game we can do it now all right i'm ready I, i'm set do it um, i could use some will that help my voice this is what i was going to say our next partner is ag1 the daily foundational nutrition woof the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health Drink it literally every day. Did you have it today? Is that your problem? Not yet. See? No. Maybe the AG1. I'll do it right when I get home. You've got your honey and your lemon and whatever other crap you're putting in this tea. Instead, you should be drinking AG1 and get False. the yeah. injection 
of daily supplements. I need it right a now. A dozen. Instead of taking a dozen supplements and pills and all that jazz, one easy drink in the morning and you would be set. One easy drink. Instead, you're like, no, give me all the honey and whatever. Grab it before your morning coffee and you're set for the day with something really good in your body. Actually feeding the nutrition it needs. Not honey, not tea, nutrition. I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. Covering my nutritional basis of the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust AG1. Mix it in one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning, done. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com forward slash PFF. Check it out. I don't know if I would go as far as saying if you drink that, you are immune from the, the, uh, you know, the, the common cold and from voice troubles, but I would assume so. It would help. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not a doctor. Therefore, anything I say can't be held against me. So I would assume if you drink that, you'll never get a cold again. Son of doctors. May or may not be true, but, you know, these are the terms and conditions, you know. May or may not be true. Actual medical professionals disagree. (laughs) Rams 29, Colts 23. Both teams now 2-2. and An overtime win for the Rams. Weird game. Colts jumped up 23-0. And a few the, big comebacks this week. Yeah, there were a few of these for sure. So I, you know, peeling the 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 onion back on our weird weekends of things. I the the organizer, the scheduler for the Cincinnati Girls Soccer League is on like a one person mission to ruin my life this year. All of the games seem to have been scheduled during the NFL slate, right? So I have to keep watching the world happen on like a three hour delay. It's just a pain in the ass. You didn't so, have your phone on the sideline while coaching? No. So yesterday I'm watching, I, I get like an hour into the 1 p.m. slate, and then I have to go coach this soccer game, come back, blah, blah, blah. And I, the way we were working is I had to do some stuff uh, once I got back and then start like catching up on the games. So there were several games that the outcome of which made no sense whatsoever based off where I left when I left the game, and this was one of them. Like the Rams were winning this comfortably. I get back, like, what? How the hell is that game in overtime? Made yeah. no sense. Because they came back from 23 nothing, mm-hmm. including they needed two two point conversions yes. to make that all happen. Um, and then in overtime, it was Puka time, baby. Well, not just Puka overtime. Nicole. It was Puka time. I mean, the entire, the game. entire game. It was all Puka It took them five minutes to end up with the most catches all time through four games, and, you know, five minutes into his fourth game. Which was that? So that overtook Anquan Bolden. He now has nine more catches than anybody in NFL history through their first four games. I can't even use seventeen game schedule against him. Nope, can't. It's just first four. Mm-hmm. Puka ends up with nine catches for one sixty three, including the walk off winner. Uh, man, that dude's been incredible. He really has. And I don't think. I mean, I looked at this before. He's not going to get just completely marginalized once Cooper Cup gets back. Like, they could coexist in the same offense. He is much more, in terms of deployment and usage, he's much more along the lines of what Robert Woods was doing in that offense when he and Cooper Cup were cooking than he is what Cooper Cup is doing. Like, it actually, I think, complements him for Cooper Cup to return rather than, now I'm sure it'll take some of the production away just because he's like the only target right now, but... I don't think he just disappears once Cooper Cup returns. We're going to start um, 
promoting this a little bit more soon, but just want to highlight Puka Nakua. We have player tracking data for games for college using computer vision. So mm-hmm. basically replicating what NGS has. So not the chip in the shoulder. Not the chip in the shoulder, but we use gotcha. computer vision technology. And um, we've come, not only do you get top speeds and all those fun stuff, all those fun things you see from NGS, but we've created our own athleticism score. And Puka was like a 92nd, 93rd percentile athlete using game speeds, using game movement. And so because he's doing great, we will promote the heck out of that. <laughs> right? That's just how it works. That is. Um, it mean, is not always a one-to-one correlation, but it's interesting because um, Tutu Atwell also was similar. And you can actually see the Rams, who may or may not have had this data for a few years. You can see how maybe a few teams lean into that. So, again, I'm not saying it works all the time, but it was just interesting number to see that Puka's game speed, game athleticism, way better than his testing numbers. And that was the story on Cooper Cup for a while, was that, yeah, um, hey, the Rams knew something. They knew he played faster. Puka absolutely plays faster than whatever he did at the combine. Yeah, that one, the Cooper Cup one was really obvious. I mean, there were plays, obviously he was playing at a lower level of competition, but like he torched Oregon when they faced them, you know, for some absurd number of yards and like outrun half the defense while doing it. Like Cup's play speed was quite obviously better than whatever he tested at the combine, which is like a four six something, right? So yeah, yes, exactly. Great job by Puka, Stafford, pretty clean game other than the pick. Once again, I think it's it's interesting seeing Stafford in this offense, uh, maybe rejuvenated because, uh, without Cooper Cup. And um, they weren't under, like, again, the pregame matchup deal. Indianapolis was coming off a game where their defensive front was outstanding. And it looked like they might have a mismatch against the Rams, and they didn't yeah. at all. The Rams, I don't know when the Rams offensive line is going to you know, outperform. But this was one of those games. The Rams, to me, are going to be this team this year where I don't have any idea what you're going to get in a given week. Now, I didn't even know what you were going to get. Like Even within this game, it went in either direction. Right, sure. The first half, they looked like, what the hell? Where did this come from? And then the second half, like, okay, this looks a bit more like. But that offensive line generally held up pretty well. Joe Noteboom wasn't good. Everybody else was fine. And if that happens, that's more than workable. But then you get games like that Cincinnati game where the entire offensive line is overwhelmed. You're like, yeah, this makes more sense given the personnel that they have on paper. And going up against the Colts, you would have thought that was kind of how this game was going to go, and it really didn't. Like That offensive line held up. And when it does, I think Stafford is playing really well. Stafford might be playing as well as he's ever played in his career right now. It's just that the circumstances around him aren't as good. Like His receivers are Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell – basically the end and his offensive line is one of the worst he's had and it's still somehow working okay because he's absolutely dealing uh one more note for the rams i'll say it before you did aaron donald was back baby aaron donald was pretty dominant again Again, second week in a row Um, one thing that occurred uh after we recorded was uh, blake freeland was announced as the starting left tackle for the colts in in place of bernard ryman freeland was freeland was a guy that I touted as a developmental tackle mm. because uh, he fell into the category. The model says yes, but my heart is saying no. <laughs> but my Blake. eyes say what my the hell is happening? My heart are saying no. So then I split the middle and said, Blake Freeland, give him a couple years to bulk mm. up because he's just skinny right now. Great athlete. He's just skinny. Can't handle power. Well, the Rams went and put Aaron Donald over him multiple times. 
And uh, left tackle Blake Freeland did not handle that very well. So Aaron Donald also whooped Quentin Nelson a few times. Like Donald had a huge game as far as disruption goes. Best he's had all season. But uh, Blake Freeland's not ready, I guess is the point. It's funny, though, how um, did you see Aaron Donald essentially campaigning for the sack? So he ends up with it's going to be like eight pressures, only one of which was a sack. And it was like a pretty clean win he's coming uh he's attacking from behind Anthony Richardson grabs hold of him and sort of it's one of these ones where he doesn't like cleanly get him like grabs him around sort of slips down keeps hold of an ankle rolls a little bit Richardson goes down whilst falling forward trying to run away from him and sort of you know stumbling bumbling bouncing towards the line of scrimmage eventually goes down and Donald is like Definitely down before the line. Like, that's definitely a sack. It was almost not a sack, but it's definitely a sack. It's funny, like, these players know the difference that makes in, like, perception, right? If I get this game that's just pure dominance start to finish and there's a zero next to the sack column, people are going to think I sucked. Which is stupid. Yes. And there's incentives tied to it. Eight sacks, ten sacks, twelve sacks. There's incentives tied to it as well, which is also stupid. But anyway. Um, that goes to Anthony Richardson. I think one of his biggest strengths coming out of Florida was sack avoidance. And in a game like this where he was under heavy pressure quite a bit, he only got sacked officially twice for negative four yards. Um, there was a negated play in there that was a very close fumble near interception. Uh, it was initially ruled a fumble on the field, got negated by a defensive hold. But Richardson did a great job, I thought, avoiding some of those negative plays and then coming up with some of the spectacular with Aaron Donald taking him down. He's able to turn that into a 35-yard completion to Alec Pierce. The result of that may have been a little lucky, but the ability to throw the ball 38 yards down the field while in the grasp, uh, there was a rollout, beautiful pass that he threw to Mo Alley-Cox. That was the touchdown that started the whole thing. So the 35-yarder, right, nice which play. was um, – I mean, there was uh, – you saw – more glimpses, I think, of what Anthony Richardson can become here in his third NFL start. He, I mean, you can see he's one of those quarterbacks that has that kind of arm where multiple times in a game, there you sort of see that he can do things other people can't, right? Like that throw to Mo Alley-Cox, it's not that the throw itself, just in terms of like start point to finish point, is particularly special, but it, when you look at how he threw it, sort of rolling that way and almost falling down at the time, like, that's not a platform to make a throw from. And yet he's able to just, like, flick it out there like it's nothing. There were multiple plays in this game where he's able to make a throw that you're like, there's a bunch of quarterbacks that just don't have a shot of making that play. Or if they do, it's where it, you know, lofts and gets into trouble. You know, Justin Herbert's got that. Mahomes has got that. Josh Allen's got that. There's a lot of quarterbacks. But that separates those guys from normal humans that simply can't make those plays. Um, one point that's just more fun than anything. Michael Hoyt. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yes. Hoyt for the Rams. Wild pronunciation given the, the spelling. The edge of that defender name. Uh, from Brown. Six, he's listed at 3 4, 3 10. He was in coverage on that Mo Alley Cox touchdown. 310 pounds. Now, this isn't rare for him. He's dropped into coverage 52 times this year. The Rams are actively putting Michael Hoyt, 310 pounder. What does he actually weigh, coverage. though? There's no way. Because like, he. They sort of slimmed him down to play on the edge. I don't now, think he maybe, still weighs yeah, Maybe the list weights off. But it was fun because he's down the field in coverage against a 270-pound tight end at Mo Alley-Cox. Yeah. Another thing that was kind of funny. Um, so Kenny Moore made a, made one really nice play, I think, in coverage. And then almost immediately. So the, the touchdown to Puka Nakua, uh, 
he tried to call like a switch like after the snap. <laughs> like, okay, look. We it could, was a coverage bust, yeah. Yeah, it was a coverage bust. But, but the reason it was a coverage bust was because <laughs> Kenny Moore tried to like switch off after the ball had been snapped. Like, you know, there are times where there's going to be a switch release or a stack formation or whatever, and the DBs have to communicate. Like, what are we going to do? No, no, change, change, you know, and like switch the coverage assignments. But they do that before the ball is snapped so that everyone has a chance to get on the same page. You can't really do it after the ball snapped. The dude inside you thinks something else happened. You're like, no, no, change. And then he doesn't change because he's dealing with a receiver. I mean, that was, that was a flaw for a guy that was as, as veteran savvy, you know, with as much experience as Kenny Moore. That's quite the mistake. And that ended up being the game. Yeah. That was it. Uh, anything else on this game? I think overall... Solid performance from Anthony Richardson and the Rams. I think you're right. They might be tough to predict, right? This this youth movement, and it's a. I think yeah, they ended up winning, but it was a weird, you know, tale of two games type of deal. But a good Stafford, the young receivers, a dominant Donald, all that can add up to to wins on any given week mm-hmm. for the Rams. And Kyron Williams has become, you know, the alpha back in that uh, Rams offense. Like, he has. Guy gets all the all the playing time, had a ton of carries, got over 100 yards, was a part of the receiving game as well. Excuse me. Hmm. You all right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we're good. Next game. Tampa Bay Bucks 26, New Orleans Saints 9. Bucks move to 3-1. and one. They're headed into their bye as the first place. First place in the NFC South. Saints fall to 2-2. Two and two. We did all of our pregame analysis talking about Jameis Winston, who came in in relief and YOLO'd an interception. Yeah. After the game was over. Right. Derek Carr did get the start despite the AC joint injury. And I don't know how much the injury affected him because he didn't play that much different than he's played this year. It hasn't been great. I mean, he was worse than he was the other three weeks. Well, he was, I mean, yeah, he was bad. The question is how much of it was bad because he was dealing with an injured shoulder versus just he's Derek Carr. Yeah. Um, but it was a back-and-forth game. This game absolutely turned before the half. Um, so Baker Mayfield's going to end up with a really great stat line, 25 of 32 <clears throat> for 246, three touchdowns in one pick. The pick came just before the half. Bucks are driving. They're up 7-3. to three. Uh, Mayfield forces one into coverage, intercepted. It looks like it's going to be 7-3 to three at the half. The Saints are – they have the ball at about the two. Run a little fullback dive, and Antoine Winfield comes in punches the ball out, and the Bucs re- recover it. So what should have been a 7-3 to halftime deficit for the Saints, well, the Bucs make this huge play. Baker Mayfield hits, hits Trey Palmer with a fade. Trey Palmer becoming a contested catch genius now. Mm. So it becomes 14-3 to at the half and completely changes the game, and the Bucs ended up pulling away in the second half. So that was a, a huge turning point in the game for Tampa Bay. Yeah, no, it was. Um I mean, really, they should have given the ball to their true power back, Taysom Hill. If you need a couple of yards off the goal line, you give the ball to Taysom. Let that man make some magic happen. Um, Baker Mayfield is starting to get into this groove where, like, I wonder how much of his crappy play the last few years has been the dude's confidence has just been blown to hell. Like, he, you think of, you think of all of Baker Mayfield's, like, peak times playing football and this is not just in the nfl but dating back to college he was clearly like in that zone right feeling it the dude had confidence right now maybe 
he he was impressively he had some mental impressive mental strength as a college quarterback to be like a walk on multiple different places consecutively and still have that confidence right like that's an impressive level of self-confidence with very little reason behind it at that point in his career and then goes on to be Heisman Trophy winner and absolute baller and all that kind of thing and it, it felt like he carried that into the NFL and that's where he got that year one rookie Baker Mayfield who still had that kind of swagger about him and then I think that confidence got dented like he the Freddie Kitchens year happened he started playing well again and then everything fell apart he got injured and then it felt like he never really recovered from that I don't know if he was sort of broken almost by the Browns effectively pulling their support from him and then you know saying actually Baker thanks thanks for all that but we're going to go in a different direction that must be pretty damaging as a quarterback right to have the team that bought into you and that you sort of fixed you know the the jersey with the million names and now it's you uh for them to basically go after you gritted through the broken shoulder thing right for them to basically just go yeah you know what Actually, we're not going to give you the money. We're going to go going to go get this guy instead. But in addition to just playing crappy, it felt like he wasn't really – you weren't getting the same swag, right? It wasn't Baker Mayfield. It was just this dude that hasn't, isn't playing very well. Now, the first few weeks in Tampa Bay, it's been a lot of that offense having answers, right? Like we talked about with PFF Bobby and, and the Houston Texans. The Bucks are doing a really good job of dialing stuff up, and Baker doesn't have to go through to two and three and you know beyond very often. He's just hitting number one, and it's open most of the time. And in particular on third down, the answers are always there. This was the first game where I started to get the impression that Baker was starting to feel more like Baker. And in addition to those answers on third down, now we're starting to get some Baker ad-lib plays in there as well, which remember, we're like a feature of early Mayfield. And then it almost became a problem that he was trying to do that too much and they were going badly when he did. I don't know, I'm just starting to get this impression that for the very first time, Baker is sort of adding to this combination rather than just taking advantage of being in a really good, not a really good situation, but in an offense, it's actually helping him out. Yeah, <clears throat> that was why every time, you know, he'd had, he went good year, bad year, good year, bad year. And then we said, hey, Browns, you got you to gotta pick up, you got to see what he has in his fifth year. Right, because you don't know when it's going to come by, or when, and then Panthers, of course, like a buy low on Baker Mayfield makes sense, and the Rams, of course, a buy low on Baker Mayfield makes sense, and it worked for like a game. So that was where we kept encouraging teams to like take the shot because you don't know, and it was three different teams, including the Browns, mm -hmm. where it, you didn't get it out of them, and it, you are seeing that now. I mean, he had. You know, the first touchdown, he you know runs around and, and finds Kate Otten in the end zone. Uh, the last touchdown to seal it was the same thing, right? He's yeah. running around and finds Devin Tompkins to, you know, uh, for the whatever, however long the touchdown was, diving back out of the end zone. You are seeing some of those ad-lib plays. He's also scrambling yeah. with a purpose. He has That's a few I mean. first downs with his legs now. Um, the other interesting thing about this game was always, we mentioned the Marshawn Lattimore-Mike Evans matchup before – Mike Evans got hurt, and that's a big story because this offense had very much been Mike Evans. You got a little bit from Chris Godwin. You got a little bit from the other guys, but it was Evans as the go-to guy. 
and they went to him early. First pass, they go right to Evans. It was like they said, we are not letting Marshawn Lattimore get in your head this game. And Evans finished with three catches for 40 yards before he got hurt. That was like his best stat line against the Saints in years. Um, but Man. they went to Evans, and there was a defensive pass interference in there. Like, right. Evans was getting the best of Lattimore early on. <laughs> and the, the defensive pass interference was Lattimore literally tackling him. Yeah. Like, got beat off the line, okay? it's You, you got beat off the line in a kind of way where if you want to be – if you want to look for a flag, you'd be like, well, that's obviously illegal by Mike Evans. Having said that, it's a Mike Evans-Lattimore matchup, right? That is not getting called. But what will be called is when you're beat and going face first into the turf, literally just rugby tackling the dude's ankles. and be like, no, you're not making a play. So that was the pass interference. Um, but yeah, that was, that's always a fun battle. Um, and like the Baker Mayfield thing, like who knows how fragile that is? Like they're playing the Lions next, right? It could easily evaporate in one game but I think it is significant that this Baker Mayfield uh, combination with the offense I think is starting to become more valuable than it was at the start when it was essentially one partner doing the heavy lifting by that I mean the scheme and Baker Mayfield just taking advantage of it just riding that wave now I think Baker is contributing to the success on top of what's already being manufactured by the offensive scheme and that's where you get some some real potential there because you do still have a really good set of receivers. Mike Evans with a hamstring, that's a potential problem for a while. Like this is, we talked before in the boo-boo breakdown, hamstrings are a pain in the ass thing to have. They can linger. We've talked about them here too on the main show. That too. Yeah. Um, but Chris Godwin is still really good. Trey Palmer was the next guy up. He played a ton of snaps in this offense and okay, he only got a couple of targets but made a, a nice contested play. He's a big part. Like they've got this can be good. Yeah, Devin Tompkins is a good player. Godwin stepped up. He made some big plays in this one for the Bucs. A um, couple other things to highlight. Last year, the Saints' pass rush disappeared at times. Um, it did again in this game. Credit the Bucs, pass protection. Also, Luke Gottecki. Remember last year he played guard. He was a second-round pick. He was overwhelmed at guard. He goes back to his college position, right tackle. He's been very good to start the season. Was very good in pass protection in this one. That was the opposite of what Saints-Bucks games had looked like these last few years. So the Bucks win the battle up front against the Saints, who had really gotten the better of them the last few seasons. Um, and then the Carr thing, I mean, he's off to a rough start grade-wise. Mm -hmm. Last year was the lowest grade he had since his rookie season. I know he's got this injury, but I don't know, man. It's not a great start for the Carr era, even though I keep waiting for this Bucks offense to ex uh, Saints offense to explode. Starting to see the opposite. It's getting worse. Yeah, Jameis coming in, going one play, YOLO interception doesn't help the argument, but that doesn't matter. It feels like Jameis was a better option to start this game than an injured Derek Carr, and I think I don't think that's hindsight. I think that was reasonably obvious going into it. Alvin Kamara made his return for the Saints yep. as well. A couple nice runs in there, but he finishes with 13 catches for 33 yards. It's probably time to fair. give the Bucks credit for the Tristan Wirfs thing. Um, yeah, they moved him from right tackle, where he'd been arguably the best right tackle in the NFL in, since he came into the league, really, to the left side. Uh, and he's been, if anything, better at the left side, where he, he played in college on the left side, right, at least the end of his he career. He flipped. I mean, he flipped right. a few times in college, so he at least had some experience there. I thought doing it in year three or four here yeah, it's pushing was it. risky, but... But he's he turned out great. He we're four games into the season now, and he's given up two pressures. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> he's been out of his mind. He is Tristan Wirfs is really, really good. Yeah. So Bucks head into a bye here, at three and one. 
Um, last player to mention, Antoine Winfield had another absurd game where he had the, the play you mentioned, um, yeah. forcing the fumble. He also had a pass breakup on a Chris Olave. It was actually a well-thrown pass by Derek Carr and was going to land in the bucket. Um, great play. And he just goes, so Alave is there, you know, two hands under the ball, ready, giving it the bucket to drop into. And Winfield at like full extension just gets his arm right between those two arms and breaks it up. I mean, those are two massive high leverage plays in this game that if they go the other way or, if, you know, if Winfield isn't there, swing like that swings the win percentage back in New Orleans' favor a massive degree. All right, we have two more one o'clocks to still discuss here. Um, Denver Broncos 31. Oh, boy. Chicago Bears 28. The Broncos with their first win, first win under Sean Payton. To move to 1-3, and three, the Bears fall to 0-4. So this was another one of those games where I left and the Bears were like, what, 28-7 up or something? 28-7, well into the third. And then I get back and it's like a tie game. Like, what? How, yeah. what? How did that happen? Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start here. <laughs> the Broncos' defense is historically bad. I know they won, but we have to highlight this stuff. Mm-hmm. For the second straight week... Opposing quarterbacks started the game 16 of 16 against the Broncos. That's not great. There was a point, and I'm going to tweet this out again today because it's going to go viral. It's going gonna, it's gonna to catch on. You take, Justin Fields did throw a late Hail Mary incompletion. Let's just take that out of the equation for a minute here. Okay. The opposing quarterbacks against the Broncos in the first half, the last two weeks, are 32 for 32. 32 for 32 mm-hmm. for 437 yards and five touchdowns in the first half, the last two weeks. Yeah. And look, I know you do a lot of A-B analysis in football, right? And so last week it's like, well, look how good the Dolphins are. Also, the Broncos are bad, but look how good the Dolphins are. When Justin Fields comes back the next week with like a similar stat line as Tua the previous week, Fields playing as poorly as he had, as bad as this offense had looked, the A-B analysis is like, hey, you got to give credit to the Dolphins and Tua. Yeah, they're really good. But, man, this Broncos defense is just bad. Now, all that said, they cracked down in the second half. And it was a strip sack of fields on the, uh, on the boot action, that uh, fumble six here that got the Broncos back in on the action. Was, was it a touchdown on the fumble? It was, right? Yeah. yeah. That, was a rough, uh, that was a rough fields play. Like he – I mean, okay, look, you're in trouble anyway. It's like a – it's a breakdown like on a naked bootleg and there's a player right there but the answer to the player being right there is not to just flap the ball backwards and lose it and create a fumble six i feel like so look fields fields played in, as bad as the broncos were like fields has to make those throws he played a great game the stat lines out of this world right 28 of 35 for 335 four touchdowns a late pick that ended up being the thing but <clears throat> i feel like fields has more plays than any other quarterback where he comes out of the boot action, and the team is just not playing the run. And so that's what happened on that play. It was Nick Benito, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are in, – and so Bears fans have been, you know, clamming, you know, saying, oh, you got to get Fields out of the pocket, get him out of the pocket. It feels like every time they're asking, get Fields out of the pocket, they do that. And there's one or two plays a game where there's a defender right in his face because they're just not respecting the run, and they're just like, we're going to play also, the boot. But also, there's no – there's no putting a, a defense in 
in jeopardy with what they're doing. Remember when Matt Nagy was the coach and people were having the same thing. It's like, why don't you move the pocket? Like your offensive line's a disaster. Why don't you just roll them out all the time? And I forget who the game was against, but there was one game where they tried to roll them out like all the time. And that team just said, okay, fine, we'll play that. Like every single time there will be a guy unblocked ready for that rollout. And it, it was a complete and total train wreck. Like there has to be some sort of jeopardy with what you're doing like you can't just give a simple like your option game for the run game your your designed runs for justin fields can't just be a read option right up the middle because they're going to make you give the ball every single time they're just going to play your the quarterback and make him hand it up hand it off up the middle and defend that like we've developed in sophistication a little bit in the last few years so you need to stress defenses more than simply going ah look it's a rollout fooled you they're better than that now and the bears are not they're just they're just running these like basic concept vanilla things that feel creative but aren't and defenses are ready for it and look well a lot of teams will bring the h-back or they'll bring somebody back with the quarterback to help seal the edge and kind of mitigate that hey just in case they want to just play the boot we're actually going to put that guy in a bind not just with the quarterback but also with a blocker, and then the blocker can become a pass, you know, a receiver in the flat. So I, I don't know, I'm, and, I'm overemphasizing one play. Yes. But this was the play that got the Broncos back into the game, right? A naked boot where the quarterback comes out naked, no blocker, no receiver, and you're just trusting that the defense is going to get fooled. If they don't get fooled, Fields has a guy in his face. Now, he didn't make a great play to try to throw it, and it's a fumble, but that's what turned the game. Yeah, and I recognize that, you know, we're doing we're, – this is quite negative coming off a game where they were, you know, 28-7 up or whatever it was, and we're stomping this Denver defense. Having said that, <clears throat> number one, the Denver defense might be a joke at this point. It's certainly all recent evidence suggests that that's the case. Number two, Denver was also missing a lot of big players on defense. Like Justin Simmons was out. Um, they were missing, I think, a key defender at every level. Simmons was out. Uh, Josie Jewell was out. Yeah, the linebackers just had no uh, Frank Clark was out. Yeah. Like, they were missing almost all significant players in this defense were out for Denver. So that's part of it, in addition to it being not very good. Um, then Fields has this play, that flap to lose the ball and create a turnover. That's arguably the difference between the two teams. Fields also had a chance to drive for the win late in the game and screwed it up. And, okay, you can argue that was a miscommunication with him and his tight end. Having said that, I think the tight end was right on this occasion. Like, that ball needs to be on the outside shoulder where the tight end was looking for it because there's a defender looking to drive inside. Instead, Fields throws, field throws it inside interception. Yeah, that was early game. and bad. Yeah, so, yeah, like, Fields had a great stat line. Um, the Bears' offense had a lot of success. DJ Moore, spectacular catch for a touchdown, but, like, we're still looking at this offense that is not stressing defenses out in terms of scheme, and Fields is making a couple of really big mistakes that end up costing them the game. Um, overall, I mean, just top to bottom, the, the Fields game was good, right? He hit the checkdowns when he needed to. There was downfield plays. There was busted coverage for a Cole Komet touchdown. There was another Cole Komet touchdown. Does a nice job where he did threaten the defense with his legs and then found him as a playmaker. That was nice from Fields. Um, on the other side, Russell Wilson, you know, kind of lost in the mix of the defense. Russ playing pretty well. The stat line also going to look real nice at a, a screen for a touchdown in there. Um, but also part of the comeback was the great Marvin Mims, 
who they still don't want to put out on the field. No, why would you? A 48-yarder to Marvin Mims because that's what he does. They threw him a screen early for negative one, and he comes back with a 48-yarder to save the uh, yards per route run. I was going to say, that, that screen's really screwing up his stats. It's really killing him. But, uh, you know, feed Marvin Mims, continue to do it. But Russ finishes 21 of 28 for 223 and three scores. Marvin Mims update, we got uh, 17 snaps this week, which is the same number as Brandon Johnson. But it is at least more than little Jordan Humphrey, which has not always been the case this year. I don't know why they're so mad at him. Uh, Jal- Jalil McLaughlin, the little running back for the Broncos, 5'9", 187 out of Youngstown State, had a really nice preseason. Said big plays. He had the... Screen for the touchdown early and also picked up 72 yards on seven carries. Somebody, by the way, so, you know, we've obviously been hammering this drum for a while with the, hey, maybe you might want to play Marvin Mims some more. Somebody made the argument that, well, he doesn't know the whole route tree yet, which is, A, simply not a reason to keep him off the field, and B, particularly when the coach is Sean Payton, because when Michael Thomas came into the league, Michael Thomas ran two routes for his rookie season. And they had him on the field basically every single snap. Like, you can have a receiver on the field who's only running a very basic route tree. It's possible. And this coach has done it before if you want to get the guy in the field. So Marvin Mims playing 17 snaps a game is not because Marvin Mims cannot run a full route tree. It's because they are unwilling to accommodate whatever he is capable of doing. And that's assuming he can. Who knows? Like, the guy could well be able to run a full route tree. But if that's your argument... It doesn't hold water. Look, there's a balance between I'm a, I'm a big fan of wide receiver four being your deep threat, and he gets a couple big plays a game. The Khalif Raymond role, the Rashid Shahid role, Devery Henderson in Sean Payton's offense previously. If that's what they see Marvin Mims as right now, fine. I kind of get it. I'm just saying he's your second-round receiver who could probably do more and maybe do more Devery Henderson stuff. You know, maybe you could do a little bit more of that. Anyway, when you get Marvin Mims involved, good things seem to happen for the Broncos. So, man, they deserve credit. Look, the defense was much better. They did rush the passer uh, pretty well. I think a lot of the Broncos' issues were in the back seven, communication. It is just, it's amazing how much we analyze football, Sam, and we talk about the individual skills of players and how much comes down to can they just talk? Can they just communicate? Can they just read route concepts that's what's wrong with the broncos right now is nobody knows where they're supposed to be but it was much better in the second half at least you know one thing i decided in this game one of the reasons i think that the double cheek push brotherly shove whatever you want to call that thing um and please don't let stick it stick with our double cheek okay. push that was your thing you stick with it one of the reasons i think the double cheek push that i like it as a play it's not just that it's like unstoppable but it's one of the reasons i think it's unstoppable is because i think it very much simplifies the responsibilities for the blockers like you have a limited capacity to basically screw up right because you know what you're doing you're basically just submarining straight forward and all you got to do is generate you know 18 inches of space and you win the bears in this play had a or the bears in this game had a fourth and one play with like three minutes left now people were sort of criticizing the way they handled this they basically ran up um tried to draw them offside and then Right before the snap, they kind of ran up under center and pretended like they were going to snap it and didn't and call the timeout, right? And people were like, well, that's ridiculous because then they fail on the fourth and one. They went out there anyway and ran the play and failed. And people were like, ah, oh, it's ridiculous. You're stupid. You should have just run the play in the first place, caught them by surprise. I honestly don't know that it would have made any difference. But the, the problem was not like they tried to draw them offside, called the timeout, ran the play anyway. The problem was they just didn't execute the play they ran. And what happened, I think it was Darnell Wright, 
just blew his block. Um, the linebacker just got clean through because he didn't get off the combination block and get to the linebacker in time. So I forget who the linebacker was, but he just got straight through, stopped the play. That doesn't happen if you're running double-cheek push because nobody is executing any kind of complexity on the blocking scheme. It's just everybody plow forward as far as you can do it, right? I honestly think that's a big part of its success. Because when it's wrong. Yeah, when it's third or fourth and one, like the defense is only really playing one thing. So if you're going to run like a basic run play up the middle, like they probably have an advantage because you still have to, like your, your combo block is still a little bit in, intricate. It's still not the easiest thing in the world to do. Whereas a linebacker is just launching himself through the gap and trying to stuff the play up. I feel like the simplicity of double cheek push, particularly when you have a quarterback like Justin Fields, it just takes a lot of room for screwing it up off the table. I think it's a fair point, Sam. Cool. I don't like it because I don't like pushing players. I like the nuance. <laughs> like, QB sneak is a skill, right? Do I take an A gap? Do I burrow? Do I go over the top? Do I fire out to the B gap when they, you know, they, they get double A closed? You lose that. It's like, we'll just, we'll just maul. We'll just go. Anyway, um, anything else to give credit to the Broncos? That was like, I don't want to say that was like old school Russ, but if they weren't starting 0 3, you'd say, yeah, Russ. Russell Wilson makes some comebacks and he plays well in the fourth quarter. And I think if the defense wasn't so bad, yeah. it would, it, we would be talking about Russell Wilson maybe a little bit more. I think there's some garbage time success in there this year. There's a, a free Hail Mary touchdown. He had a free screen touchdown yesterday. I think the stat line is going to look stupid for Russ, like stupid good right now after four weeks. I don't have it in front of me, but um, I think overall he's playing far better than he did last year, though. No, that's the point. I think if it wasn't for the fact that this defense has just collapsed, uh, we would be talking a lot about the job that Sean Payton has done to make inroads into the Russell Wilson thing. And maybe you'll never get the old version of Russell Wilson back, but he's playing much better. He's producing much better. And he's, I mean, there's some plays that have gone either way. There was also a beautiful sort of old classic Russell Wilson ad lib moonball type deal where Jerry Judy just bailed on it just decided not to bother contesting that one deep down the field we're starting to see a lot more that resembles the old version of russell wilson and yet it doesn't even it's not even registering on the radar because this defense is a joke um and it's been remember last season it started amazing and they had like baron browning baron browning is rapidly turning into like uh defensive end travis fulgham where for like a month he was an all pro and then Two years later, he's like out of the league and nobody even remembers who he is. Baron Browning was absolutely unstoppable for like a month. And then, okay, he's been injured and stuff in between, but like nothing. And since Denver's pass rush evaporated, and other people will point to, well, they traded away Bradley Chubb. That was the moment. Since their pass rush disappeared, this Broncos defense has not been good, and it's getting worse. Um, and that is, a, I think, a massive problem for them at the moment, is that even with Russell Wilson looking okay it doesn't matter because the dolphins are hanging 70 on them the bears are putting up 28 points in you know the first few quarters it's it's awful uh the other thing to come out of this game charles robinson had a tweet the bears now hold the number one and the number two overall pick right like they there these are, there's only two zero and four teams and the bears have the pick the draft pick for both of them the teams that started zero and four have landed the number one pick in the draft in 15 of the last 21 years and the Bears own both yeah, of, those, of those both of those current picks as things stand. I haven't run the math as to what that does. 15 of 21, if you're now two 
instead of one, but it seems like a pretty good chance they're going to be picking number one overall. Well, the other 0-4 team is the Carolina Panthers. There it is, yeah. How about that? Minnesota Vikings beat the Panthers yesterday 21-13. to Vikings get their first win, and uh, now they're 1-3 on the season and 1-3 in one-score games. Yeah. This year. Uh-huh. Their first win in one-score games here. After going 11-0 last year, Vikings get the win. It was uh, Panthers were in control. Uh, well, I mean, they were winning. It was 13. <laughs> <laughs> it was 13. To, let's not get crazy here. 13-7 to 7 until uh, 409 in the third. Bryce Young, who looked – I was just in my head like, hey, Bryce Young's doing a pretty good job. He's you know handling the pressure and all that. And he gets sacked, strip-sacked by Harrison Smith. Uh, DJ Wadham brings it back for a 51-yard touchdown. Yeah. And that um, was the game winner for the Vikings. They tacked on another touchdown to go up by eight. Right. So I think, yes, they were winning. Um, things had gone their way up until that point in the game. You know, they had a Kirk Cousins pick six. Um, oh, I forget who was the player. Did you see? So Kirk Cousins pick six being returned all the way. Cousins is the only guy that can make the stop, right? So Cousins is like making a beeline basically for his own pylon because he knows he's Kirk Cousins and he's running against a DB. He, I was, he took the right angle. Yes. I was but very the right impressed. Angle, the right angle was to like head immediately for your own pylon. Yeah. Right? Like, the guy yeah. had the ball at the two, <laughs> and most people are going to run to like their own 30. Right. And Cousins is like, no, I'm he's, going to the 10, yes. my own 10. He's looking to make a tackle like his own five-yard line yeah. immediately. It's actually saving, quite impressive sort of piece of geometry Love in his own the, head. On-the-spot geometry from Kirk. Was but good. whoever it was, I should find the guy's number, but or the guy's name. There was a Carolina defender who, like, from his own 20-yard line, realized he had a chance to annihilate Kirk Cousins. Like, that far out. And he went, like, that dude broke Usain Bolt's 100-meter record to get in front of everybody so that he could annihilate Kirk Cousins on a hit. And he saw it coming, like, from a mile away. Amazing play. Anyway, pick six. Um, They also had, like, uh, safety Josh Metellus had back-to-back really good plays in coverage in the red zone. One of them got negated by a holding penalty. Carolina was kind of getting the break. Um, the Vikings also, we talked about what their game plan was going to be in terms of blitzing going into this game. And remember, they had blitzed like the ever-living crap out of everybody going in because they had no pass rush. I don't know if it was because Marcus Davenport was playing, but they really dialed back the blitz against uh, Bryce Young's in the first half. And it wasn't really working. <laughs> they like Bryce Young actually had a, a lot more time and was comfortable in the pocket and was looking reasonably good. But then the second half, they ramped it back up again. They had double the number of blitz plays in the second half than the first half. And the fumble that that Bryce Young had on this strip sack, it was on a simulated pressure, like Harrison Smith, obviously on the blitz, but they only run they only rushed four. Like they were getting much more creative and aggressive in the second half. And that worked. Oh yeah, I thought you had no. I I something else. Thought I was going to go. I thought I was going to continue that, and then I thought, you know what? That's the point they I was making. The end. They they blitz more, and yeah. it worked. You just end in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder how much the Marcus Davenport thing was there, right? They spent, I mean, thirteen million or whatever for the one year of Marcus Davenport to be their pass rusher opposite Danell Hunter. Were they blitzing like crazy because he's been hurt? Uh, I, I yeah, I thought they would blitz like crazy because they're facing Bryce Young. On Thursday, we'll talk about how they're facing Mahomes, and we'll see mm. what they try to so do there do with the then. Chiefs. But, um, yeah, I thought, again, I thought Bryce Young was was handling it pretty well until he didn't, I guess. <laughs> until but it, it definitely, the pressure did come back. I mean, this was 
the best Bryce Young game. Yeah. Out of, out well, of it's because, like I said, they, they didn't blitz him at all, really, early on, and he handled that very well. And then when they started to get more aggressive, and not just aggressive by, like, increasing the number of bodies rushing on any given play, but mixing it up with those simulated pressures and creepers and that kind of thing, right? Like, that strip sack... Um, came on a simulated pressure. They only rushed four players on that play, but one of them was a safety, and that confused. Um, they blitzed them late as well for that, that uh, the... Uh, the fourth down. Yeah, the fourth down uh, sack, another blitz. Well, there was a... Basically ends the game. So the, the, the Panthers have the ball under two minutes. It's second and nine, uh, or second and goal from the nine, I believe it was, and Bryce Young takes a, a nine-yard sack. That was when... The Vikings kind of got in their bag a little bit. Harrison Smith ended up with three sacks, and this one uh, blindsided Bryce Young from the arm side, right? As that, as we know that that could happen when you're when you're looking left, and um, that was when it just started to catch up to him. So that turns into now it's third and goal from the 18, and then it's fourth and eight, you know fourth and goal from the 18, and a final sack to to end the game. Whereas Harrison Smith beats Iki Ikwanu, right? And part of that's the deception because there's a this is where the blitzing works works well. We'll see how aggressive the Vikings are going forward. But you have a down lineman over the left tackle. Did he drop? Because it got Harrison Smith the one-on-one with Icky, and uh, he won it. Yeah. Um, and Icky Kwanu didn't have a bad game, but that was obviously bad play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, this was – it was interesting in terms of Minnesota's defensive scheme because it's been very – it's not that it hasn't been complex the first couple, few weeks, but it's been basic in terms of we're going to be blitzing a lot, uh, and that's it. And if you can find the gaps in that, go nuts. But this was much more of a, well, we're going to start off not really doing that at all, and then later in the game, we're going to mix it up an awful lot more. And that's when it started to cause problems for Bryce and, Young. And, and the, all that said, I mean, the Panthers scored six points offensively. Um, they had the pick six. Um that was also, you know, Justin, the Cousins hit Jefferson on a touchdown that got negated. Mm-hmm. And then comes back and throws that terrible pick six. The Vikings have a ridiculous number of red zone turnovers so far this year. And fumbles. Only four weeks in. And what? Fumbles. And fumbles. Yeah, just, yeah, they all seem to be in the red zone as well. So um, not the cleanest game for Cousins, but he certainly bounced back after that. And um, look, Vikings are just just a better team at this point. I don't think the Vikings were ever as bad as an 0-3 team. I thought the Panthers, you know, could be. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting because we didn't mind them trading up to get Bryce Young, and I don't think the book's written on him yet. But if the Panthers are missing pick two, three, or four next year, it's going to look rough. I mean, I think you're seeing how problematic it can be to get that guy if you don't already have the number one pick. Like, Carolina were picking nine, right? And I think they made the correct decision, which is, look, we're picking nine. We desperately need a quarterback. Let's go and be aggressive and go get the guy we want. But it costs them so much to do it that now the guy you pick just doesn't have a platform. He doesn't have a hope. So you've got this offensive line that's pretty rough, and you've got no receivers to throw to. And sure, a 15-year grizzled veteran like Andy Dalton can come in there and just through 15 years of experience be able to make some of that work to a reasonable degree. But a rookie quarterback can't really do that. So really, I don't think you can criticize them for recognizing the need, going after their guy. But I think what you do need to start asking is, 
if you're if you're picking nine or somewhere like that, like are you so far away from number one that you're better off targeting four? Like would they would the would the Panthers have been better off trading to four and getting the third quarterback on the board who looks okay than they than they were trading everything away to go get number one because now they're just so devoid of talent around him that he has no shot of success at the moment. Yeah, might be. Might be quite the off-season discussion for the Panthers. we got to move on. Three more 4 o'clock games and then Sunday night football. All right, Los Angeles Chargers 24, Las Vegas Raiders 17. Uh, another game where we did not know if Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get the start for mm-hmm. the Raiders, but it was Aiden O'Connell, fourth-round rookie, who uh, lit, up, lit it up in the preseason. He got the start for the Raiders, uh, but the Raiders fall to 1-3 and three here. Chargers move to 2-2. Two and two. Now, first of all, I want to say I'm glad that Aiden O'Connell started and we did not have to sit through a Brian Hoyer game, even though mm. it probably didn't help. <laughs> it turns out Brian Hoyer probably would have given them a better shot of winning this game. No, I still want to see maybe. Aiden O'Connell play before Brian Hoyer. Maybe. O'Connell, I mean, DTR was impressive in the preseason. Like, O'Connell didn't miss Yes, in the preseason. He was... Out of his mind. This was a weird game. So, I mean, obviously he didn't, weird game. he didn't play well. <laughs> Let's put that out there right away. His grade is going to be on the crappy end of the spectrum. Um, and there's some pretty rough plays in there as well. Having said that, I think his biggest flaw was actually the sort of Sam Howell type pocket presence and inviting of the sacks rather than yeah. outright. Because like... The notable thing about his preseason performance relative to his college play is that he basically didn't have any glaring mistakes in preseason, right? Whereas his college tape is littered with them. And it's like, dude, who is this guy? Like, this is not the same player making the big-time throws. And that didn't happen in the preseason. Now, there was a couple of them in this game, but honestly, it was less of that and more he was just too slow. And, you know, preseason, you have that time, and in the regular season, you don't necessarily. And the Chargers, like pass rush, got to him in a way that um, just wasn't a factor in the preseason. Um, there was, I mean, there was a lot happening in this game. First off, uh, Khalil Mack is back. I have uh, been on Khalil, Khalil Mack watch over the last few weeks here. What's wrong with Khalil Mack? This was, I mean, he had six sacks, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't care how, much t- how many times we tell you that sacks are overrated. If you have six, you're probably going to have a good grade. Um, <laughs> Doesn't mean that every play. I mean, it was, a, you know, you need Aiden O'Connell to hold the ball to have six sacks, though. But like Khalil Mack was actually winning rushes and far more effective than he had been. But yeah, there were so many plays where O'Connell's just sitting there and patting the ball, patting the ball. Uh, Mack ends up with two uh, strip sacks. But even like Mack's last sack, he spent like a good second, second and a half bumping Josh Jacobs coming out of the backfield. And then he just came in unblocked and jumped on Aiden O'Connell for the sack. Like that's a. Protection error, or right. just you know, quarterback doesn't know. Hey, we got to throw. We got an empty. I mean, we have a a free rusher here. So yeah, part of it's you're facing the rookie quarterback, but yeah, Khalil Mack, much better than he'd been at any point this season. Yeah, and without Joey Bosa playing as well, so they needed him to show up because they potentially didn't have. Then they got Jerry Tillery thrown out of the game with one of the dumbest hits penalties that any. I mean, we talked about Quay Walker. I was having. I was surprised he got thrown out though. I think they just decided that that was so piss-taking really and stupid late. that it you was have to re- get – like, that's so dumb. You, you're out. It was a very late hit on Justin Herbert, former teammate Justin Herbert, by Jerry Tillery. Yeah. It wasn't a dirty hit in the sense of, like, how he hit him. It was a 
you know, a well, hard was, Yeah, hit. it was dirty because it was but three well yards. out of bounds. It yeah. was dirty because it was late. I'm just saying it wasn't like a helmet to helmet or anything right. like that. Um, but I was surprised it got thrown out. I, I honestly think they just decided that that was so egregiously stupid that you have to get ejected for that. Like it was, you know, the flagrant foul in basketball. Like that was flagrant foul, yeah. late hit. Like well, Max Crosby is trailing that play from behind because Herbert, by the way, juked him out of his shoes one-on-one on the edge. Uh, Crosby is kind of chasing that down, you know, just as you do, trailing five yards. Watches Tillery blast him like two yards out of bounds and like throws his hands up like, what the hell is he even doing? That's ridiculous. Yeah, this was a couple things here, by the way. The other thing was when Herbert threw the interception, they attacked him. I saw uh, Mike Golick Jr. be like, that, that was like early 2000s headhunting by the defense. They went after Herbert. Did he dislocate his finger? Is that what ended up? Something nasty. Because he yeah. had the splint or something. The finger looked bad. It looked really bad. But they were going after Herbert on that interception. He's also uh, like, I mean, if the finger, like, they had this hand held together by what looked like, you know, tape and staples or whatever. And he's out there, like, taking sacks with that. Like, can somebody knock him up a quick cast or something? Like, dude. That does not look a safe dynamic to be taking a sack from Khalil Mack, or not Khalil Mack, a sack from Max Crosby with your hand, like, barely held together by whatever, like, tape job that is. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not tough enough to play quarterback. I know that. Okay. They might be. It's impressive. This was like the – this was like a college Justin Herbert game where um, he had a few turn-of-worthy plays in there. He had one of those third and ten arm punts type of throws that um, finally I get to my example why I don't like those because the free safety doesn't always just fall down when he catches it. It was right. a huge return for the Raiders that almost brought the Raiders back into the game. I don't like that could, he could the, a, the arm punt on third and ten um, he could because a, a lot of times that you know it works as a punt, but other times it doesn't. He could have had an interception earlier in the game to Merrick as well uh, in the end zone. Yeah. Tried to throw an interception, essentially, in the end zone. Only the guy that he threw it at has a cast on his left hand, yeah. so couldn't quite put, bring them together so and he come knew. down with the ball. So it was, a, it was a rare game for Herbert, who put the ball in harm's way a few times. And then it was a week after, they dropped back 50 times, 47 times, whatever it was, against the Vikings. They went a little bit more run-heavy attack, but Herbert won this game a lot with his legs. He had a scramble for a touchdown, had a nice QB sneak, had that... Um, you know, a couple of nice scrambles in there. Like, people forget in college, he was a little erratic with his accuracy. His decision-making wasn't nearly as good as what he's shown in the NFL, but he would have games where he'd have, like, a 70-yard touchdown run and everything. He's really fast. Um, and this was one of those games where he just kind of, like, found a way and did a little bit more with his legs than he had in previous games, um, which continues this. We don't really know what the Chargers are going to do week to week offensively. It's been run-heavy. It's been pass-heavy. It's been uneven Herbert game where he wins with his legs and a couple big throws. But um, for the second straight week, we also have Brandon Staley going for it, fourth and one, in his own territory. We have two, yeah, two, I think, coaching uh, game management decisions or goofs to talk about. Uh, (laughs) McDaniels essentially ran a play rather than challenging a touchdown, which was an interesting call. Uh, They – the Raiders get a completed pass, break the plane of the goal line, and instead – they almost ran hurry-up offense on themselves. You know, you do it to stop them reviewing it. Well, they did it so they couldn't review it. And then it turns out if they'd reviewed it, it would have quite clearly been a touchdown. Now, they ends up two plays later on fourth and goal, punching it in for a touchdown anyway, so he got away with it. But, like, that feels like a pretty bad mistake. 
And you're like, I don't think it even made sense in terms of saving the timeout. If you you know if you hadn't got it, it you take you need the points. Like challenge that. It's a touchdown. So McDaniel's does that, and then yeah, for the second week in a row, um, Brandon Staley goes for it on fourth and short in his own territory to try. And it, this wasn't as clean as last week. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have ended the game, right? But, but it would have got you pretty close. close. Yeah, fourth um, and one, own thirty-four. Yeah, with like three and a half minutes left. With three thirty left. And now apparently Justin Herbert was. Nine out of ten on sneaks in his career before that, which I question simply because he'd already failed on one in the game. So if he was nine on, out of ten, maybe coming into the game, right? It meant he was a hundred percent coming into this game, which I just don't quite believe. He's got the splint on his finger. Yes. So here's the thing. This is an interesting one because normally, now mo- I haven't. I saw one model and it said go for it, right? Which people would say the models always say go for it. They, they don't. But this one model said this is go for it. And usually I'm kind of for this idea of, look, the two-point play for Ron Rivera, go for it. 50-50, that's the best chance you're going to have to win this. Last week, I'm, I'm fine with going for it. You win it, it wins the game. One play, get it over with. This one I think is a lot more debatable. Number one, it doesn't end the game, as we talked about. Number two, Justin Herbert's hand is now held together with scotch tape and bailing wire. I don't know if you want to throw that guy into the A-gap with that hand. Uh, Number three, Aiden O'Connell has kind of been terrible, and you might want to ask the young, you know, fourth-round rookie to delete a game-winning drive for the length of the field. I don't know if this is – I feel like you kicked this one. I I think the part of the – I'm with you too because it doesn't just finish the game. The part of the math here where it might make a little bit of sense is if the Raiders score to tie it up, if there was, because there was 3.30 left in the game, there's probably a good chance that you have a quick two-minute drive to right. get into field goal range, which in today's NFL, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's very doable mm-hmm. to do. So that's all part of this, right? So it's like we might give up a touchdown. We also might stop them, which they did. Right. We might give up a touchdown, but we'll also have another chance to maybe get that final possession. But what ended up happening is Herbert gets stuffed. The Raiders start moving. They complete a fourth and ten to Devontae Adams. It's like, all right, this is happening. The Raiders are making this comeback. Adams and his busted shoulder, by the yeah. way. Hurting. And uh, O'Connell comes up, throws an interception. So there's another interesting play. Asante Samuel picks Really it good off. play by Samuel. It was a great play. And then he just goes down. Like yeah. it's the last play of the game. There was 239 left in the game. And he actually he had probably 50 yards of space. I don't know if um, I don't know if that was a trap coverage or if he uh, actually if it was man I haven't looked at it again, but if it actually was man coverage across the board and he deliberately fell off his man and went for the other player. But basically O'Connell reads man coverage and Samuel just lets his guy go and goes after the ball and picks it off, like baited him into that throw, picked it off, and then yeah. It, it's not, again, like it isn't the final play of the game. <laughs> There's time left on the clock. And instead of trying to return it, Samuel just goes down like that's the game and sets up, you know, more chances. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a whole bunch of high leverage, crazy plays. So Asante Samuel goes down and the game's not over. The Chargers still need to get a first down. They run for two, uh, for whatever, nothing. It becomes third and 10. And then Paul Herbert goes deep to Josh Palmer for a 51-yarder. By far the biggest play of the day for the Chargers, or at least uh, the pass game. 50-yard touchdown, or 51-yard completion to seal the deal. Herbert, to that point, had only thrown for like a buck 17. Um, most, of their, most of their success was on the, gra- on the ground. 
by the way, where they use Darius Davis, the receiver, as a runner, mm-hmm. as a 51-yarder to kick things off. So uh, Chargers get the win and seal it in uh, dramatic fashion with the 51-yarder. Uh, Tyree Wilson, watch, by the way. Looks like he got his first win oh. as a pass rusher. We got one in there. So just keep that up. Ideally, they'd want note. more than one, I think. Probably. But still, one is better than uh, zero. <clears throat> it's better than zero. All right, San Francisco 49ers 35, Arizona Cardinals 16. I don't have a ton to say on this, but the Niners dominated. Brock Purdy goes 20 for 21 for 283 in a touchdown. Yeah, um, they did dominate. However, Arizona made that a lot closer than it, I think it looked on the scoreboard. Like, I know, I was trying to get, I was, they needed to keep it within two touchdowns because we both picked them to right. do that. But the 49ers get out to like a 14 nothing start, and you're like, oh, well, that, that's that, you know, game over. Like they, they're, they're going to do to the, the Cardinals what they've been doing to other teams. They're just going to stomp them. Arizona pulled it back. Like they got that very close, and it's only, you know, two late fourth quarter touchdowns that made the game get out of control. But Arizona, like they are not a bad team. They are going to fight, and they're going to drag you back into a game. And even if you are having that kind of success on offense – you know, they, they did pretty well. Um, Michael Wilson is starting to look like a real player for them. The What did he go in the third round? Wide receiver from Stanford. Beautiful catch on that uh, touchdown, mm-hmm. first touchdown. A couple of really was. nice yeah. catches for them. They, they ran a fake punt without a punter, which seems <laughs> unusual to me. I mean, in this world of like, hey, his knuckles have turned white, it's a run play. Like, that's the kind of level defenses are going to to pick up a tell on, an, on the offense. It feels like not having a punter on the field for the fake punt is quite a large tell that it's not a punt. Bit of a giveaway. Yeah. Man, I'm also just impressed with Josh Dobbs, like, every single week. Seriously. He's just um, – he's got a backup job. Again, I don't he's, – he's Jacoby Brissett level, I think, for me, where I – he's a good backup that should be a backup until he loses it. Right? Well, it's also because it, he can go out there and win some games for you and keep it competitive. He, if he did have a better roster and he went out, I mean, he also gives he'd, them he'd improve some of the other teams around the league the way he's playing right now. He that. gives them the flexibility, I think, to not have to. You know, the the Kyler Murray timeline can be whatever the Kyler Murray timeline is. You're fine with Josh Dobbs for a while. Like you might be losing all these games, but to be honest, number one, that's good because you know it's it's really about the draft. Uh, but number two. You're not losing in embarrassing fashion. Like every one of these games, Josh Dobbs is able to turn into a fight so that you can kind of feel good enough about it, moral victories and all that, um, so that, you know, the morale doesn't disappear, which is the real risk of just being a terrible team and getting waxed every week. They are scrappy and they're fighting. And even against, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL, they're not just making it tough, but they're making it tough even in ugly situations. Like a lot of teams down 14 nothing against San Francisco – would have just capitulated and raised the white flag and moved on to next week. Arizona pegged them back, and then only late on did it get away from them. Um, I just want to credit Christian McCaffrey and how awesome he is. He is great. I'm also thankful that the uh, swing screen to him was called a lateral. Okay. So that Brock, Brock Purdy did not need the extra uh, stat boost here. Well, Brock Purdy completed a eight. deep pass, so he got his own yardage. This he game. did. This may have been the best Brock Purdy game that we've seen. Um, he had a weird one to Ayuk where there was double, there was two defenders there, and he just like underthrew it to a spot. Where that was a deep pass. I, yeah. yeah, I feel. Yeah, I, I think he actually completed the deep pass simply because it was so badly underthrown that it actually ended up re, like repositioning the ball and his receiver to the right spot. I think he tried to split, 
two safeties and just didn't get the ball anywhere near where it needed where it should have been and therefore because it was so underthrown like the receiver has the advantage because he tends to react first to that but it's a completed deep ball uh, which is not something that Brock Purdy has a ton of in the NFL. There were a couple other big time throws in there though so he did a nice job nice little back shoulder Brandon Ayuk with another huge game um, just to wrap it up for me with the McCaffrey thing I, I like again that the Niners don't necessarily run the entire offense through McCaffrey. There's sure. a couple, there's a couple schemed plays in there, but it's um, he becomes an elite checkdown option, right? There's a, there's some scheme plays in there, but he's an elite checkdown option. All seven of McCaffrey's catches went for first downs. All the while, um, look, you don't you don't get the ball to George Kittle or Debo Samuel in this game in the past game, but you're getting Brandon Ayuk with those deep passes, and McCaffrey just becomes the best, uh, you know, fail-safe, just check down, you know, last option, and that's what makes the Niners so difficult to stop. Because, again, a couple weeks ago, two weeks in a row, it was Debo Samuel. Now it's nothing. No Debo. But you got to deal with McCaffrey and Ayuk. They are doing such a – I don't know what the stats are going to look like at the end of the year, and, like, none of these guys are going to look elite statistically, but they're the most difficult offense to defend in the league because of all those options. Let me ask you a question. Since this is a short show at the moment, yeah, um, let's just keep going. Is uh, we have two more games to is Dennis the Barbarian Gardek an example of you know what the law of attraction is? You know, manifestation. This idea of if you speak it into existence, if you think it hard enough, you can you can make it happen. Sure. Did, do you know when he was drafted? Undrafted. Okay. Do you know when he entered the league? No. Tell me. Two thousand eighteen. So as an undrafted free agent out of Sioux Falls in 2018, who had spent the majority of his career as just like a special teams guy, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I'm going to be nicknamed the Barbarian because a guy nicknamed the Barbarian can't help but be a great defender, sack artist. Like that's how you become a superstar. You think he just made his own nickname? Where did you hear about his nickname? Adam Schefter. Right, and where did that come from? Probably his agent. There you go, right? i.e. he created his own nickname. We're Dennis the Barbarian Gardeck has created his own destiny, which is different from what he was actually destined to do, which is this like journeyman special teamer. Dennis the Barbarian said, to hell with that. I need Dennis Gardeck is a journeyman special teamer who's going to hang around the league for 12 years and go home with a paycheck of like a million dollars, right? The Barbarian is a guy who's going to get 10 sacks in a season and get the bag. And I'm doing that. Agent, whatever you put out the word, put out the word that we back, put out the word that the barbarian is a thing. He's re-signed and he's going after sacks this year. I like it. Yeah, he's got over sixteen hundred ninety special team snaps in his career. That's what I'm saying. And now he's a one sack per game guy. He's also got eleven sacks in his career, and f- and what five of them. Or four th- this year. Four of them, sorry, have come this year. So 12 sacks in his career, four of them have come this year. I'm glad you took the time to do that. I just feel, I mean, that's, he's an example. He's the strongest example I've found yet of the law of attraction being a thing. He's probably been named the Barbarian since, like, high school, though. No. All Not right, that, well, the Niners move to 4-0. and That doesn't uh, help my... On a collision course next week. I mean, next week when you say, oh, waiting all day for Sunday night, it could be true because it's Niners-Cowboys. I don't wait all day for Sunday night. No offense to NBC because I have to watch games. I can't wait all day for Sunday night. i got to watch like 13 games before Sunday night. But uh-huh. next week, 
It's Cowboys and Niners. The Cowboys moved to 3-1 and one yesterday with a 38-3 win over the New England Patriots. It was 28-3 at one point. The jokes were flowing. 28-3, <laughs> Patriots are down against Dan Quinn. But um, old number 12 wasn't on the sideline this time. So yeah. uh, maybe the worst game. Well, definitely the worst game I've ever seen. Oh, from just, Mac Jones. I mean, this is the, the only Cowboys good, bounce back from their disappointing loss. Yeah, the only good thing about this being one of the games we have to cover yet is that this shouldn't take that long. Um, you know the way I generally root for the funniest thing to happen? I will say yes. it's quite funny that just before the game, the Patriots were like leaking that this is going to be a Zeke Elliott's going to be like a starter. He's going to get full reps. He's going to, it's a Zeke Elliott revenge game. He's going to go nuts against the Cowboys, rush for 200, and we're going to win. And it ends up being the biggest loss in Bill Belichick's entire coaching career. Yeah, like before the game, all these reporters, you know, the insiders were all like, Zeke Elliott's going to, he's going to get the, the bulk of the work this week. It's not going to be Ramondre Stevenson. It's going to be Zeke in his Cowboys revenge, which means it's come from the Patriots somewhere, right? But it's kind of funny that that was like the preseason or the pregame narrative was, hey, this is going to be a Zeke revenge game. And it ends up literally being the biggest loss that Bill Belichick has ever sustained in the NFL. Yeah. That's funny. That is objectively hilarious. Yeah, Zeke had six carries for 16 yards. Mm. Um, the first drive, and I didn't catch the first drive because Fox wouldn't let me. But um, gotcha. I saw the highlight of Demario <laughs> Douglas the highlight. for the model. One of the best spin moves you ever, you'll ever see. There was a 45-yard, a 42-yard of Demario Douglas on the first drive. And uh, New England ends up kicking a field goal. It's 3-3 three, three in three, their three. first drive. Yeah, And then after that, the Cowboys scored the rest of the points. Yes. Um, Mac Jones was just awful. Spastic. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like he got – he gets this um, deer-in-the-headlights type of look every now and then. And, like, this was it, man. Everything like, he did was bad. He left the pocket. There was a fumble six. Yep, which was bad. And then he leaves him. the pocket. There was a play where he rolls to his right and throws back all the way across the field with his poo arm. And it worked. Who are? Yeah. And Greg Olson on commentary did a good job saying, eh, most quarterbacks don't do that. They don't get away with that. Most of the time, you got to be careful when you do that. And like two plays later, he does it again. It's pick six. You also have to be, uh, yeah, you have to be especially careful when you're working with Mac Jones arm, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's just a... I said poo arm. No, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a simple rule of physics that you, you can be less careful if you have... Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Anthony Richardson arm than if you have Mac Jones arm. You simply have to be more careful. You have a smaller margin for error. So when you're, when you're putting your entire life essence into getting the ball all the way back across the field to the left flat late in the play, that's probably not a good idea. And it turned out it wasn't. Mac Jones. And then it just kept getting worse. Yeah, just a collection of some of the most ridiculously terrible plays he's ever had in the NFL, all in the same game. Two official interceptions, but he probably could have had another pick six in there. Um, so it was, it was rough. I, I don't want to say Mac Jones was benched because when you're down 35, right. at some point you're just putting the backup in. But yeah. ba Bailey Zappi came in at the end for Mac Jones. And uh, I think Belichick said, hey, he's going to be the starter. Yeah. Did they intentionally, did the Cowboys intentionally run a fake? point after attempt pass or was that like a botch snap um i didn't see that play they i don't know the the holder passed the ball to chauncey golson for two points it looked look like a fake play like i don't i don't think maybe it was like the scramble thing where everyone's has has a design you know spot to get to so that if it does break down it's not like everything on the fly 
but it looked very rehearsed for it to be completely ad-libbed. But maybe it was, I didn't see the snap itself, so maybe it was a just a botched snap. I don't know. I anyway, that miss, was kind of funny. I happen to miss that play. Um, this was the game of the week. This was, you know, a, a lot of people's frustration that there were nine games in the one o'clock, when you have to watch every game, nine games in the one o'clock hour, three in the four o'clock hour, all of which were, well, they weren't all blowouts, but they were close. Um, the cleanest game of the season for Dak Prescott, I think we mentioned on the preview show, I mentioned at least, I'm not going to overreact, right? The last time the Cowboys laid an egg that badly was week 18 of last year. They bounced back great the next week. That's what they did in this game. So it was another week of dominant Cowboys, right? I mean, the defense turning it over. Their uh, best, uh, highest turnover rate in the NFL for under Dan Quinn over the last few years with the Cowboys. It's a tough thing to sustain, but they have. Um, Dak, I mean, very clean game. Like, it was just... The Cowboys' high end remains incredible. You just, you just never know when they're going to lay an egg. That's like the thing. If you, the just, if you just take out that Cardinals game, the, the Cowboys look like the best team in the NFL. But then that game is in there. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Do you I mean, do the same that? thing I said, like the Bills. No, I know. Take but, away three but, throws. And, but the Bills even, you can sort of limit it down to, like, like, like that was a Josh Allen meltdown. Everything else was pretty good. But yeah. the Cowboys, literally everything went to hell against the Cardinals. But if you simply pretend that game didn't exist, we would be saying – the elite teams in the NFL are, you know, whoever, and Dallas. Like, it's, it's kind of bizarre, just a total aberration, aberration in, their, uh, in their season. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still a Cowboys believer because I see what they're capable of. Um, the narrative is going to be bad, though, if they – I mean, it's only week five with the Niners, but if in the, it's going to come down to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Dallas will be in the playoffs, and if they have another poor game in the playoffs, the narrative won't change. But they are capable of making a run – as much as the Eagles or the Niners. Yeah. They are right there with those teams. Um, one last note here, Mac Jones. Remember, he? Um, somebody asked me the other day, have you ever seen a rookie start this well as, as C.J. Stroud? It was a C.J. Stroud question. And like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, we've seen RG3, I don't think, like hit the ground running. But, you know, by week five or six, you kind of knew. I mean, Mac Jones' first 10 or 11 games were really good in a good situation in New England. Other guys have been in that bucket but mac jones since week 11 of his rookie year he was playing well through week 11 since week 11 of his rookie year he's ranked 27th out of 36 quarterbacks so you know bottom eight or whatever bottom nine after a very promising rookie year i've i don't think i've ever seen a quarterback play his best ball in his first 10 or 11 games i don't think i've ever seen that and i'm not saying it's all been a disaster for mac jones but it certainly hasn't gotten better after a really promising start. I don't know what to do with that, right? You expect the opposite with a lot of players, but that's going to create for an interesting offseason, I think, in, or maybe midseason in New England uh, if Mac Jones keeps playing like that. Yeah, I mean, that was just a complete and total This is with Bill O'Brien, too. I mean, this is the lowest scoring output the Patriots have had since 2000. That was Belichick's I mean, first year with Bledsoe at quarterback. The cautionary tale. I think there's, there's been quite a few rookies that have started really well right out of the gate. Now, maybe... Like certain records, right, are different. But the cautionary tale for the, hey, let's not get too excited just yet. Remember Carson Wentz? Carson Wentz's four, first four games were like, he had like a 90 grade, he had five touchdowns, no interceptions, his numbers were off the charts. Like Carson Wentz looked like a god in the first month of his career and for various periods. Yeah, Wentz's start was uh, played well against bad defenses, went up against good defenses, Zimmer, and struggled. But the next year, it was like, okay, he was an MVP, MVP level, and then now he can't yeah. get a job. Right. But, like, 
Mac Jones right now, his best stretch of football is the first 10 games sure. of his career, and we're in year three. That's weird. That's but I mean rare. specific to the C.J. Stroud thing. Yeah. Like he's playing oh, really well, Stroud but one, yeah. we're a month into the season. We've seen players literally the first month of their season or the fir- first month of their career is spectacular, and then now they're not in the league anymore, and it's not because they're old. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There have been other, there have been other players. All right. I think that's every game except Sunday night football. Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs 23, New York Jets 20. This was not the expected result, especially since the Chiefs got up 17 to nothing. NBC had all the Taylor Swift songs and stories. They were all spooled up, ready to go. It was like, all right, we knew this was going to be a three-touchdown game. Didn't get to any of it. Didn't get to any of it because Zach Wilson grew up before our eyes. <laughs> grew what? up. What a weird game. It was a very weird game. Chiefs get the win, 23 to 20. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, Chiefs get up 17 to nothing, and it looked like, all right, same old deal. Yeah. Right? Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're unstoppable. I, uh, Isaiah Pacheco with a 48-yard touchdown. Was it 48 right off the bat? Well, kind of run that people don't 48-yard touchdown where nobody was in the area. Well, the kind of run where he doesn't get – people don't think he's capable of that kind of run, right? It was He made a guy miss in the backfield, and then Trey Smith, like, obliterated a defender on a, on a pull. And then he beats a DB, like, for speed. To the, to the open space and runs it in, you know, the length of the, uh, what was left for the touchdown. That was the kind of play I don't think that people credit Pacheco for having the capacity to achieve. Yeah, so it looked like, I mean, the way Kansas City moved the ball, there was also a 33-yarder to Pacheco as a check down where he was wide open. The Jets had two defensive penalties on the play, and Pacheco still picked up 33 with nobody near him. It looked like the Jets couldn't stop anything. Yeah. Um, and then they started to stop things. And Patrick Mahomes started throwing the ball to the Jets. Yeah. This was was so weird because – so you're sort of – the narrative going into the game, right? You're like, if the Jets have any shot whatsoever of winning this game, their defense is going to need to score points, right? Because the offense won't. Uh, And the defense, you know, finally gets some points. They get a a safety, um, a – was a face mask or an illegal hands-to-the-face call. That's what started it. Yeah, in the end zone, right? And it's great. We're on the board. The defense scored. But – at that point, it's already 17-0. You're like, that's probably not enough. Uh, but it ended up actually almost being. And then for a while, the Jets were just like on the razor-thin side, on the wrong side of like a bunch of different almost things, almost calls, almost plays, um, you know, a bunch of different sort of play. Like Zach Wilson throws what would have been a tough catch, but was one that hit him in the hands and probably should have been caught to Conklin in the end zone. Then the ground forces the incompletion. Like, that's a four-point play that bounces against them. Um, they had another kind of incompletion that's just off. They just kept coming down slightly. He just missed Garrett Wilson for what could have, should have been a touchdown. And you're like, everything is just going against them. Mahomes is tossing them the ball. They're close. But they're still not even in the lead yet, and Mahomes eventually is probably going to stop throwing them the ball, and then they lose the game. And As like, I kept tweeting. but Yeah, and then he just didn't. He kept tossing it away. <clears throat> you skipped over. You yada yada the Zach Wilson coming of age. By the way, this will end up being like his second or third best grade. It's not like we've never, ever seen him play uh-huh. well. Like he's had a couple good games in his two-plus years. Um, but this was the best little in-game stretch. Where Wilson, it was funny because Chris, I mean, it was like Chris watching a, a son out there. Like, felt like we were all watching our son. I saw other people tweeting this and everything. It's like we were watching our, our little brother grow up before our eyes, right? Um, like, he hit a wide open check down. We're like, all right, yeah, 
You hit the check down against cover two mm. on time. That's incredible, Zach Wilson. Good job. But then he starts hitting back shoulders. And I mean, I thought Chris covered it well. He was like, it, it wasn't just is the throw there, it was the confidence. Like, even when he almost threw a pick, he did it with confidence, right? He was chucking that ball on time ish and, you know, showing off the arm a little bit. It was nice. Zach Wilson played well for a really good stretch of play. Now, all that said, it took Mahomes having a bit of a meltdown. And Zach Wilson playing out of his mind for a stretch of play, and then he just drops a shotgun snap. Yeah, I th- that was like, sad the, to be honest. Like, I was. think I think I think people were getting a little bit um, over the top in terms of praising what he was doing. He was playing well. I mean, it was I relative was to expectations. Yes. We're talking about when he when he for the last three weeks when there was a completion that went beyond the first down marker for a first down. It was like, all right, good job. Yeah. That was unexpected. I know. So there were many of those in this game, which means it was well above yes. the low expectations. Of course it was. I mean, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, and he didn't look like it in this game. So for that reason alone, it's a much better game than you're normally anticipating from Zach Wilson. Having said that, it wasn't like a great game in the standard of quarterback play in the NFL. Of course not. So I felt like the praise was getting a little bit out of control for a while. From Q2 to like early but, Q4, though, it was, it was a really good game. But it was sad that it ended with such a sort of routinely bad goof that just ends the game. It's like, come on. Like, you had a chance to give yourself the shot to go on a drive and win the game, and we just we got, we felt like we all kind of got robbed of the, the closure of that. Twice, though. Whichever we, way it would have gone. For a couple reasons, though, right? Because um, Wilson drops the snap when they're down three, and then it's like, all right, now it's inevitable. The Chiefs are going to score another touchdown. It's going to be a 30-20 to 20 game, and that's normal, right? And they're going to cover, yeah. too. And the Chiefs drive down, and instead you get a third and 20 where Mahomes throws it up, kind of gets hit while he's throwing. It's an interception, and then they call a defensive hold on Sauce Gardner. Mm. Did not love that call. And, I mean, it it felt like – I think the Super Bowl penalty was more real by James Bradbury. But it felt like we were robbed of – we were robbed of entertainment. Yeah. Just like in the Super Bowl. We were robbed of a Jalen Hurts game-winning drive opportunity – in this game, I think we were really robbed. This was a bad, this was a bad call. It should have been Mahomes' third interception, which is tough to do. And the Jets should have had a game-winning drive opportunity with about two minutes left, and we didn't get to see that. I don't know that it was that bad. But my problem with it is I wouldn't have called it, and I don't think it should have been called, but not because it's technically not you know, holding or illegal contact or whatever, but because you haven't called that all game. Don't call it now. You, you can call that, but that's your standard now. If you're calling that in a game... There's going to be four or five Especially illegal contact and holding penalties. It's third and 20. It's right. an automatic first down. So like the result I, of the play was an interception. It's so bad. Yeah, so I wouldn't argue that it's like it's not illegal contact or holding or anything bad by the DB. My argument would simply be if you're calling that in this game, you need to, there's five more penalties that you didn't call that you left out there. So you've already set the standard that that is not a penalty in this game. It's a blurry line heading into every game. You've already established where it is. Don't call it now because that is making, that is inserting the official into this game in a way that shouldn't exist. Um, And then on top of all that, look, Mahomes did not have a good game throwing the ball whatsoever. He also had like one of his best plays was negated by a penalty as well, throwing the ball to Kelsey. But Mahomes didn't throw the ball well. But he ran the ball extremely well. So, Not only does he have that knack for picking up the first down, but he gets a 25-yarder on third and 22 when the Jets were clearly trying to not let him run. Right. 
with their defensive line until they stopped, you know, staying in their pass rush lanes. People, but Mahomes is incredible with his legs. People accuse us a lot of having, you know, bias, you, know, you hate my team, you're biased against this guy, you love this guy, you hate this guy, you're inconsistent with your thought process, blah, blah, right? And I actually spend some time at times trying to avoid that, you know, trying to, uh, you have a reaction to something in your head, you have a reaction to something else, and it occurs to you that that is potentially inconsistent. So I was thinking last night, is there a difference between Josh Allen's meltdown on week one, where the narrative coming out of that was Josh Allen cost them the game, Josh Allen, joke, awful, yada, yada, and the meltdown that Patrick Mahomes had yesterday, which is multiple really, really bad turnover-worthy plays to the Jets that was the only reason this game was close. Um, and I was thinking about it, because you're like, that would be that would be an example of what you're talking about, right? We have this preconceived idea of Josh Allen as a guy capable of that kind of meltdown, and Mahomes doesn't really get that reputation. I believe it's slightly different, um, although very similar for the reasons we've already outlined. The difference, though, I think, is, number one, the first game, the Josh Allen game, when you consider what the way that game went, I all this hype and everything's great, so good feeling, Aaron Rodgers, the Jets are back, we're going to be Super Bowl bound, baby, and then like four plays in, the entire building is deflated because Rodgers is now getting carted off, and it's like, oh, God, Zach Wilson's back in the game. The whole season just went to hell. The deflation that was tangible in that stadium at the time all the Josh Allen needed to do was to simply not throw them the ball. Like, if he'd punted every play instead, I honestly think they'd have won the game. If they had played territory, the Jets had no shot whatsoever of winning this game. This week, number one, that atmosphere isn't there. Like, you're not, as much as nobody expected the Jets to do anything, like, the, the, it wasn't like a palpable misery in the stadium at kickoff. You know what I mean? Number two, Zach Wilson was actually playing pretty well, so... You couldn't necessarily just play defense, kick the ball to them, and expect to win this game. Mahomes actually did need to achieve something. And then number three, like he did come good with the, with the plays on the ground when they needed him to. So even with these meltdown plays, he held it together at the crucial moment, and that was ultimately the difference between winning and losing. So as much as the meltdown was bad and could have cost him the game, it didn't, and the reason it didn't was still Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I'm... I mean, I think I agree it was probably different. I mean, the interception before the half with Mahomes, too, that wasn't like bad. It was a turnover, but it just it just took away a potential field goal opportunity from the Chiefs. It didn't give the Jets life or anything. It just took away a low-chance opportunity at a late-second field goal in the first half. Hmm. The first interception by Mahomes, I mean, that was as bad as any – Allen won. He looked at double coverage and was like, I'll just throw it over it and miss it. Right. I'll say this about Mahomes this year. He's had some weird underthrows all season where he's had, like he did it with Valdez Scanling. I think it was third in a million. And he, he was like, all right, Mahomes is winding up. He's got the shoulder tilt. When you see the shoulder tilt, they're throwing far. Right? You see this. All right. How far is it going to go? Gonna go? I'm wait, like 70 yards? How long? It was like 10 yards short. Yeah. He did that in the Lions game a couple times. He's done that a few times this year. I also and the other one that one Chris said he's like Mahomes is a great touch thrower and he tried to throw a touch throw and he missed it by he was just short by ten. Well, yards. yeah, it was pure touch. It just didn't go to the right place. <laughs> it was a great soft touch interception. Yeah. So to, I, it was like something was a little off on. A right. Of to be clear, I I mean he was not good in this game and that's I, he's made 
he made as many bad decisions with the football as I think I can remember him doing in a single game in this game. Um, and I do think it's worth bringing up the question of, like, is there signal to the fact that that's happened to Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes now in four weeks against the Jets' defense? I kind of feel like it isn't, though, because as good as the Jets' defense was, and they were really good in this game, that doesn't explain Mahomes just going and lobbing it to two guys. Well, the it first, doesn't, yeah. You the, know what I mean? Like, I don't think they caused those meltdowns. The negated interception did have pressure there. Sure. But, and like, but they did start to collapse the pocket. Like, Mahomes says, well, sometimes. Other times, of course, they let him run. Right. Um, but, yeah, I felt like Josh Allen's picks and at least one of Mahomes were just at least two of them probably, I guess, were unforced. That's what I'm saying. I think the Jets' defense is very good and absolutely caused some negative plays for Mahomes and the offense. I don't think it caused the meltdowns for both quarterbacks, though. Like that, I think, I don't know if you can call it coincidence, but I don't think the Jets' defense is going to cause these like sequential meltdowns from every good quarterback they face. Like I think for some reason that's just happened two weeks out of four to two of the best quarterbacks in football. Um, so... I'm curious what the, the, the Chiefs still have some offensive issues to work out. Like, they should have scored 30. Mahomes could have run in, by the way. That was when he decided to run out of bounds instead right. of just taking it into That's the end zone. More points. They, they would have scored 30. That would have, they would have covered. A lot of people would have cared. Um, <laughs> but Mahomes just goes down instead. But those last few scrambles were incredible. I thought it was a surprising move by the Jets because they had a few plays, the Jets, where they played man, but they had C.J. Mosley and a spy. They looked fast, man. The Jets were flying around the field, taking away the scrambles a couple times. And then they didn't on the last play. They played man on third and nine with no spy. And that's just so much pressure on the defensive line. Because that's the Chiefs' offensive line. Not only are they good at just pass protection overall, but they're also good at staying sticky on their blocks because they know Mahomes is going to find the hole. Yeah. Right? More so than other offensive lines. So playing man at that point, really risky by the Jets with no help, expecting your four rushers to keep Mahomes in the pocket. And it was an easy, it was really an easy pickup, not like the 25-yarder. Um, Zach Wilson played well overall. The one other play that was underrated here, Brees Hall has a 43-yard touch uh, run. Mm -hmm. And Tyler Conklin's his downfield blocker. He trips him. Like, he looked like he was ready to set up. He had one-on-one -on -one for Tyler Conklin, the tight end, to block the safety. And Brees Hall ta like, tripped him up. It could have been a 70-yard touchdown or whatever it was. And the Jets didn't end up scoring on that drive. Just another little hidden play in there. They had so many of those, like, almost plays in this game. Um, I mean, honestly, when you if, you if you take as given Mahomes throwing them the ball that many times, they should have won this game and, and didn't. Uh, the Chiefs' offense has been – it's strange because we're in this world now where four, four games is just a slightly strange sample size because it feels like it should be enough to say anything, and yet you take one weird game in there, and it's like, that. Well, I don't know what to do with any of this, like Dallas with the Arizona game. Kansas City has now had these four games, and really, if you take out the Bears, who look for the majority of the season like an absolute disaster, their offense has struggled in all of them, right? Like, they stomped the Bears – but they struggle against Detroit. They struggle against Jacksonville. They struggle against this with the caveat that they still should have put up 30. And it's like, this is not the Kansas City Chiefs team that we're, we're accustomed to seeing. I do think, though, that they have, you know, the way Miami now, well, in two years, has a history of like starting fast with Mike McDaniel and then maybe fading throughout the year, right? 
And Sean McVay's offense was like that for a long time, right? It would start incredibly, and then as the year wore on, it would start to get figured out a little bit. I kind of feel like the Chiefs are the opposite. They seem to start slowly a little bit, and we we ask, we get to these, should we be worried about this offense? Is it the same with that Tyreek Hill? Is it, you know what I mean? Or have teams figured it out with too high, blah, blah, blah. And then they actually figure out answers as the year gets on. And by the time we get to December, it'll look like exactly the same Chiefs it always looks like, and they'll be back in the Super Bowl again. But like for the first couple of months, we start to, you know, ask questions about, oh, is everything right in Kansas City? Just to put some numbers to your analysis there, the Chiefs are seventh this year as an offense and EPA per play. Uh, if you take out the Bears game, though, they're, they're about 15th, 16th. So, right. The, what average. you're saying is we've seen three yeah. out of four games where they've been a mid-tier offense, An offense and then one where they were unstoppable against the, one of the worst defenses in the league in the Bears. Right. So just something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Play the Vikings next week, I believe, right? That's going to be interesting. So Chiefs, uh, we'll say they, they survive to go to 3-1. and one. Jets fall to 1-3, and three, and we've got more stories to discuss this week. Zach Wilson is back. It was It was – it's a good game. He finished 28 for 39 for 245. He played just well. Just completing that level, the high level of passes. If you could get that Zach hitting Wilson. hitting some of the underneath stuff that he yeah, needed. If you could get that Zach, that Zach Wilson every week, the Jets would be in the playoffs. But there's very little evidence so far to suggest that that's yeah. possible. And it might be too late because they're one and three. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the one thing I did tweet before the game, and I was thinking, I can't remember if I said on the podcast, Zach Wilson played against the Bills. We know what the Bills are defensively. The Cowboys and the Patriots. Like, New England gave up 38 yesterday, but 14 were on offense. Mm-hmm. And they made a bunch of red zone stops against the Cowboys. The Patriots' defense is pretty good. They slowed down the Dolphins. Sure. So, Zach Wilson played three of the top five or six defenses mm-hmm. in the NFL. And the Chiefs were playing like a top five defense, and he did a nice job against them. So, that was like the one thing that made me say, let's pump the brakes on the hate. Like, he has, sure. there's no history of success with Wilson, but he's also had a tough stretch here. In yes. place of Rodgers. I mean, he faces some good teams uh, for the rest of the season as well. On the other hand, like three of his next six games are against Denver. I mean, <laughs> that's looking pretty good at the moment. The New York Giants, who can't necessarily stop anybody. Uh, the Raiders, who can't really stop anybody on defense. So there's some, there's some very favorable defenses coming up, in addition to tough ones, you know, like he also faces the, the Eagles and, you know, the Bills again and Miami. Like, there's some tough teams as well, but... It definitely gets easier than it's been. All right, man. It's a good show. Thanks to everybody for bearing with me. My voice. Less energy. Probably sounds terrible. Yeah. Doesn't sound great. Just got to play through it. Got to get the AG1. Yeah, going home. To what time did we start? How freaking long is this thing? It's long. Um, we started about eight minutes late. Oh, God. And we finished about 20 minutes late. <laughs> after we should have. And I still end up... There's still people complaining. You didn't talk about my team enough, and then I've got these other points, and I feel like we left a little meat on the bone. We haven't talked about any Taylor Swift. I mean, we left so much meat on the bone. All right, it's time to go. You're back here tomorrow talking Monday Night Football. Enjoy the Giants and Seahawks tonight. I'll be back Wednesday. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again either Tuesday or Wednesday.